The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I write film reviews here and there. For for everywhere. Um, I, I People just call me Whitney. And he wants to be a paperback writer. <laughs> I also want his, to be a day tripper. Yes. With his, and a with, lady Madonna. With lovely Rita, his Mita maid. And I want to be under the sea. Uh, that has nothing to do with the show we're reviewing, although there is an episode called Meet the Beatles. Um, That's right, there is. <laughs> so I guess sure maybe kind of. Um, yeah, so this week on Cancelled Too Soon, we are reviewing one of the TV shows that we get asked about a lot. It yeah. was uh, critically acclaimed when it came out, which is weird because the network aired it out of order so that it didn't mm. make any sense. And when we say that... We mean it didn't make any sense. Like, people would, like, die or get thrown in jail, and then two episodes later, they would just be, like, back and dating someone else, and they'd never talk about it because mm-hmm. that episode was supposed to air, like, six episodes ago. It was horrendous. It was hor- and it was horrendous, and I thought I had found the correct order, but I think I ended up watching it closer in broadcast order. Ah. So I had a lot of trouble following it. Uh, and when you do that, it's not just the plot stuff that gets lost in that shuffling of the order. Mm-hmm. It's the character development. Well, it's not just the character development. Mm. It's the premise of the show. <laughs> you don't know what the hell is going on. And not just in terms of the story, but in where you started and ended. Yeah. In terms of what this show's supposed to be about. Yeah. What are they, what are they so, getting at? Because that's the, that's the core of all criticism. Mm. Is you're saying, what are you trying to get at? How well did you succeed? Yeah. And if you're not watching the show, even in intended order... I mean, it's one thing if a show gets cut off and you never see the whole thing. You, you've got what you've got. but You can, what, you can fill in that gap. That's when, okay. When what you've got is released more or less at random, mm-hmm. you're, you're not even able to figure that out. And they're not... Bo- there's a few bottle episodes, but the, the uh, it's frustrating. We'll get into it in a moment. Yes. But the show we're talking about came out in 1995, and we're talking about the first of several shows that did not succeed that are called American Gothic. CBS. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Nothing you've ever seen. Nothing you've ever imagined. Nothing you've ever known. Too late for salvation. Can prepare you for what's coming. I know who you are! Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. American Gothic. This fall on CBS contains some violent scenes. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. That's a motif that is repeated a lot in early episodes and then, thank goodness, goes away after a while. It was totally ripped off by Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, American Gothic, uh, <laughs> created by, of all people, Sean Cassidy. Yes, that Sean Cassidy. Yeah, Sean Cassidy, uh, the co-star of The Hardy Boys back in the mm-hmm. 1970s, uh, went on to have a very you know prolific career. He was a man Pro- undercover. Yeah, uh, no, that was David Cassidy. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang it. <laughs> it was David Cassidy is his older brother. Oh. Uh, Sean Cassidy uh, was also an actor, and uh, he, uh, he was also a singer, and he was... A writer, he... What did he work? He worked on something that we did before. Hold on a second, I'm trying to say. He worked on Emerald City. Oh, there you go. Yeah, which was a... The uh, series. Yes, which was a sort of grim and gritty uh, reboot of The Wizard of Oz, which had its moments. A lot of cool visual stuff. Anyway. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was worth watching. It wasn't amazing, but there was good stuff. Um, and, uh, oh, he also worked on uh, the uh, TV series Roar. With oh, Heath right. Ledger. Which we also covered on, on Council Too Soon. And we'll probably run into him again. He did a lot of short-lived shows, just like a lot of people who do TV. That's why our podcast exists. <laughs> uh, but when this one came out, it was seen as really weird because it's Sean Cassidy, the guy from the Hardy Boys. Mm-hmm. And he's producing what was trying to be, and I think, spoiler alert, I think succeeded better than most other shows that attempted this. Mm-hmm. It was trying to be the next Twin Peaks. Well, uh, Twin Peaks did indeed spawn a lot of... Uh, I, you can't really call them imitators because Twin Peaks is such uh, an unusual animal, but a lot of people who are trying to capture that vibe. Well, I think, that I think audi- was... audiences were ready for hmm. um, l- more expansive, much more experimental, much more surreal narratives. True, but I also think that there was definitely... When anything is successful in Hollywood, mm. there are imitators or knockoffs or just people who want to get in on a zeitgeist. Yeah. And what they rarely do is look at the original thing and just say, okay, here's everything that it's doing well. Here's everything that connected. And let's try to find something that works on every level like this. Mm. When no, they, 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 instead, they, what they do is... They take all the surface level stuff, yeah. like the... the, the direct elements like this type of character or this type of story beat and spooky stuff in small Mm -hmm. town with protagonist who is kind of folksy but to a weird off-putting degree Mm -hmm. maybe something supernatural going on one central mystery that is uh hanging over the entire proceedings and is not going to be solved uh, maybe not until far later in the series. If that, ever. That, was, that that was a novelty back in the 90s. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, American Gothic follows a lot of those surface trends, but unlike a lot of the other shows that tried to pull that off, um, it actually has its own vibe. It has its own raison d'etre. It has its own themes that it explores mm. in that environment. Well, it, it has a more... Uh, you, you can say this about Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks is a, a scary show. Twin Peaks, oh, yeah. Twin, Peaks Fire, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is is horrendously scary. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but people don't talk about Twin Peaks as if it's a horror show. They talk mm-hmm. about, oh, it's like a send-up of soap operas. It's this weird sort of uh, satire of small-town life. It may, may, uh, maybe they'll say murder mystery. Yeah, kind of a murder yeah. mystery. But, yeah, nobody calls it a horror show. American it, Gothic is a horror show. Well, it's forthrightly a horror show. Yeah, it's, like, it, it's it got has, demons it has and ghosts. a horror and... tone to it. And there's a lot of scary stuff in it. That baby scared the piss out of me. Uh, 
You're talking the, about the, uh, the, the baby last, and the ultrasound? The baby and the last, uh, yeah, the baby and the ultrasound. Really? The, the, I, I, the, I got the, a giggle the, out of the, it. The, but... the, that stupid looking rubber baby and the ultrasound, it was scary, all right? <laughs> it was a scary, stupid looking rubber right. baby. Uh, the other thing I want to say is the other executive producer of the show mm-hmm. was a horror icon, Sam Raimi, who uh, directed the Evil Dead movies before the remake. And he was he was on a roll on TV because I think this was around the time he had uh, done Hercules. Yeah, well, the mid-90s was a very yeah. Sam Raimi and, and Rob Tabard and all those guys. Yeah. Um, they, so, yeah, they, Her- they, they had a bunch of hit shows or or cult shows, at least, with Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, mm. uh, Xena, Warrior Princess, Mantis, Jack, Jack of All Trades. Mm. Oh, I interviewed Sam Raimi recently, and I asked, and I told him how much Mantis ruled, and mm. he appreciated that. Oh, I thought good. that was yeah. nice. Uh, yeah. I didn't know we were going to do American Gothic yet, or I would have mentioned it. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they were on a roll, but American Gothic was a bit of a prestige thing for mm. them, because a lot of the stuff they were doing was more like uh, syndicated action-adventure shows. American Gothic takes place in is it South Carolina? I know it's South one of the Carolina. It's one of the Carolinas. South Carolina it takes place in a small Tr- town, Trinity, South Carolina, a fictional town. Yep, Trinity, South Carolina is a small town. Everybody knows each other, and there's a lot of ensemble cast members, and we'll talk about them all in a minute. But they're all sort of presided over by the town sheriff, who mm. is very much in the vein of Andy Griffith from the Andy Griffith show in that he is jovial, he knows everybody, and he's all up in everybody's business. The difference is, in American Gothic, he's Satan. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's like Randall Flagg from uh, the Stephen King... I'm not sure, Randall Flagg was the devil in The, Stephen, in the Stand. Uh, more or less, yeah. And... Uh, I think he shows up in other stories. As he shows well. up in the but Dark yeah, Tower under different names. The Dark right. Tower, a lot of char- a lot of characters from different stuff, Stephen King stuff, show up in slightly different ways. Okay. So the the main bad guy, like basically Matthew McConaughey's character from the Dark Tower movie, mm. that's basically Randall Flagg. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, he he's he's like a Randall Flagg type character, and he exists to attempt people. Yeah. And although the the central narrative of the, sh- of the show and all of these all of the supporting characters. Uh, and other main characters are all sort of beholden to uh, murder that kicks off all of the all of the drama. Mm-hmm. The general premise of the show, as far as I can tell, is uh, Sheriff Randall Flagg. What, what, what's the character's name? Lucas Buck. Lucas Buck, which is confusing because one of the actors is named Lucas Black. Yeah. But uh, Luke, <laughs> Lucas Buck uh, finds someone in the town... Usually introduced in that episode, new character. Mm-hmm. There's usually one new character every episode uh, with some sort of creeps problem. Up, creeps up to them and says, like he doesn't even make a bargain with them. Like I can make your problem go away. He just says, "You're a piece of crap, and here's and here's why you're a piece of crap." And I can give you some things, but I'm immediately going to hurt you in some supernatural way, even though he doesn't really seem directly involved in a lot of that. You know what he feels more like? His portrayal as a demonic entity, because they never explicitly say he's Satan. No. no. Well, and we, I got we, the impression that he was just sort of in league with greater demons. I think, based on what I'm... Because, again, the, the series ended, we never mm. got more out of it. Um, the implication that I had, one thing we learned about Lucas Buck is that he is not immortal, mm. and that the essence, the evil essence within him, will be transferred into his progeny whenever uh. he dies. Um, so the evil essence, mm. that might be Lucifer. 
Okay. That might be another fallen angel. There's a one line, the throwaway line, where he talks briefly about someone says something about angels, and he's just like, "Yeah, I, I work for that side. It doesn't work." Something like that. Mm. So I got the impression he's a fallen angel, if not Lucifer himself, but like he's trapped in a human body, and he goes from human body to human body when his old body dies. Right. Um, so yeah, he tempts people, but I really like the way that this show handles it because that kind of demonic temptation can be really phony. There's a bit in the book Good Omens, and I haven't seen the new series. It's a miniseries. Mm. I've seen a couple episodes. I kind of lost interest real fast. Fair enough. uh, I I love the book. It's one of my favorite books. And there's a bit towards the beginning where, uh, and I don't know if it made it into the series or not, but uh, Crowley... Uh, it, it made it into the series. It's it's a like a literal beat for beat, scene for scene interpretation. Okay. Well, there's a bit in the yeah. book where uh, Crowley meets some other demons, and they mm-hmm. talk about how this is I the introductory put, scene. Yeah, yeah, I put lust into the heart of a politician, mm-hmm. into, of a preacher. Mm-hmm. Within five years, we'll have him. Yeah. And then Crowley and the, Crowley's just like, yeah, I shut down the uh, uh, like cell phone access on the freeway mm-hmm. for like hours and really mm-hmm. ruined everyone's day. Oh, and his whole thing no, was. I'm, in his mind, he's like, well, they'll go home and they'll take it out on other people and everyone will be really annoyed and that will life, make... life will be a little bit worse and they'll all be sort of tempted into falling very gently. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a bit more the Lucas Buck approach because mm-hmm. mostly, sometimes people come to him and he just manipulates them directly, mm-hmm. but mostly he does things in really subtle ways. Like, he will not so much tell someone like, hey, if you, if I, I'll do this thing for you, but you gotta kill a guy. Yeah. And what, what he'll say is, like, um, for example, there's an episode early on mm-hmm. where he wants uh, someone to testify f- on his behalf yeah. at a legal proceeding. I just say what he wants him to say. And he gives him a haunted mirror that destroys his marriage. <laughs> and uh, and he, the guy says, like, well, what do you want from me? What do, what do you want me to lie on the stand? No, I just want you to tell the complete truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not even that immoral, really. <laughs> He's just... He wants you to tell so much truth that it makes someone look bad. Right. But it is the truth. Mm. And it's that kind of moral complexity that I appreciate in American Gothic. In most of the episodes, people are either so bad that it's like a Tales from the Crypt episode and they're damned if they do or damned if they don't. Right. Or uh, both of their options that they could either defy or follow Sheriff Buck are both arguably moral. This one's maybe arguably a little more moral than the other. And you can have that conversation and you can see in your head why they'd make that choice. Yeah. Well, that's a hard thing to do in a deal with the devil story because it's the devil. Of course, you and the audience know not to do it. Some of those setups were were somewhat clever uh, because there there was like a third, a fourth, a fifth option. But Lucas Buck was so canny about presenting it as if there were only two. Yeah. That everyone was like, oh, gosh, I guess all of my choices are taken from me. Yeah. And he's, and he's played by Gary Cole. And mm. Gary Cole is an actor who I think most people know of as a comedic actor. Mm. He's probably best known as the boss from Office Space. He is 80% good here. <laughs> really? You <laughs> yeah. think he's only 80%? I think he's great here. I think mm. he's fun because... I th- yeah, I think he's great most of the time. <laughs> I think a little... Uh, I think a lot of the time he's a little out of his element. Uh, really? Yeah, I, think, I, I, think I think he carries it. Well, I think, my, my I think problem that, is a I think lot of... goodness that comes out of his usual comedy performances mm. makes his evil more believable because people would, would buy into his shtick. Like, that uh, phoniness is, is, like, all mm. intentional to get people on his side because he seems like a down-home Mayberry... I, I suppose so, but it, it, his his character is really, and this could just be the writing, but it is it is really inconsistent. We don't know what his motivation is from scene to scene. We know he's like sort of demonic. Mm-hmm. He wants to tempt people, except when sometimes he's just sort of laid back and doesn't want to, mm-hmm. even though he could. 
He lets people go a little too often just so they can keep the series going. Oh, well, here's the thing he, with he, he has, Sheriff yeah. Buck. His, he wants to manipulate people. He's not trying to kill everyone in the town. Mm. He likes having everybody under their under his thumb. He mm. likes knowing he can control people and make anybody do anything he wants at any given time. He actually does believe in keeping law and order. In fact, in almost every episode, as he's walking by some random person, they just say, Hey, Sheriff Buck, thanks for loaning me that money so we could get my new wife and I can get a house. Mm. Like, that's just it. He just does that. Yeah. Why? Well, that person owes him one now. Mm. Like, that's valuable to him. He's kind of like... He's a mob guy. He's kind of like Leland Gaunt from Needful Things. Like, and, yeah. and, uh, on the Which surface, another, he seems very... Another Randall Flagg character, but yeah, yeah. But, like, on the surface, he seems very decent and very altruistic, and it's mm. only once you get to know him. Uh, the plot of the pilot episode sets everything in motion. We were introduced uh, to a boy named Caleb Temple, played by Lucas Black. From Luke, Three Fast, Three Furious. Yeah, from uh, Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift. Uh, more recently, he was in that really good Jackie Robinson biopic, 42. Oh, yeah. Um, he is a really talented actor. He was an especially talented young actor. And I remember in the late 90s, there was this like concerted fever pitch when they were like casting young Darth Vader. It's like, oh, they're going to get Lucas Black and that's going to be awesome. Because <laughs> Lucas Black is so creepy in the American Gothic. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um so, uh, it's yeah. Not, not what they ended up doing with the character, but yeah. No, no. He could have played it both ways, though. Uh, anyway, uh, Caleb and his brother Merlin, aka Merle. Or, or sister. I'm sorry, sister. His right. sister Merlin, played by Sarah Paulson, before people knew who she was, which is <laughs> really te- cool. Teenage Sarah Paulson. I remember when I first. I, I watched this. I heard about the show a little bit when it came on. I think I saw the pilot, but when it finally came out on like DVD in the early 2000s, is when I rediscovered it and mm. totally like fell for this series. And even then, I still didn't know who Sarah Paulson was. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. she, she was just and some so. character actor I'd seen in some shows, and it's only in the last like ten years that she finally got her due as one of our great mm-hmm. actors. So it's cool to see her in this, and it takes a while for them to give her something cool to do, but she eventually does it. Well, she uh, she dies. She's the Laura Palmer of the show. Yeah, first episode. Yeah, she and she is killed presumably by her. Is it her father? Well, it looks like it's her father. What happens is we see Caleb and Merlin and their abusive father, and their mother is long since dead and out of the picture. Um, and Merlin is... She's mentally infirm. I think she's autistic, yeah. but they never get into it. Um, and Caleb is a really nice boy, even though he's living in horrible, dire straits. Uh, Merlin starts... Uh, her her chant, the thing she says over and over again that drives everybody nuts in her family, is someone's at the door. Mm-hmm. She says it over and over again. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Uh... And her father is ready to beat her senseless, and Caleb runs away to try to get help. And by the time he comes back, the sheriff has arrived, Sheriff Buck, and he comes in, and it looks like he has rescued Merlin from being killed by her father. And instead, Sheriff Buck snaps Merlin's neck. His uh, his deputy, uh, oh, what's his name? Barney Fife. No, yeah, uh, he's, <laughs> Ben, uh, friendly dude. Yeah, uh, Ben, played by Nick Searcy. Uh, who uh, is now a, uh, a director. He directed uh, Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer, mm. which was a Christian anti-abortion film, but a... was actually a pretty good one of those. Like It was well-directed. Mm. Kudos to him for that, I guess. Um, yeah, he, he sees it, and he's going to spend most of the show in a moral quandary over how evil is my boss versus how good is my boss. Mm. Um, and then while Caleb is on the run, not sure who to trust, uh, Sheriff Buck makes it look like Caleb's father killed himself, like, in suicide. Mm. 
and now the question is who's going to take care of Caleb. Caleb also uh, has two people on his side. There's Dr. Matt Crower, played by Jake Weber, who I know best from Dawn of the Dead, the remake. Who I, I They set him up at the beginning of the series to be... Uh, also, like, semi-supernatural. Mm-hmm. Like, he was going to be, uh, for, I presumed, like, an angelic figure to counter uh, Lucas Buck's demonic figure. I thought he was going to be more of a secular positive figure, but mm. regardless, he was definitely supposed to be the know, good they, guy to they, the bad they guy. Fil- they filmed him in Beams of Light. He was always yeah. dressed in white. He was, and, you know, they're, they're, and he was always very sort of calm and judicious. Mm. Uh, it turns out he's just a mortal, but, yeah, he's, he's essentially... <laughs> at least at the start of the series, meant to be sort of counterpoint to Lucas Buck. And in fact, you read a lot of old descriptions of the show, and it is described as evil sheriff versus good doctor fighting over the soul of young boy. Mm. The show takes some sharp turns, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Kind of like The Omen in a weird way. You know what it's like? It's like that film The Visitor. Mm. Have you ever seen The Visitor? Yes, it's terrible. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazingly terrible. Describe The Visitor if you can. I cannot. Um... (laughs) Okay, the visitor is, I, I guess, ostensibly a, a like a science fiction twinged omen knockoff. Basically, about a young girl who's perhaps like has superpowers, but has the potential to be lured to the dark or to the light. And there's like de- a demonic boardroom uh, who is represented by Lance Henriksen. And, yeah, uh, there's an evil corporation that wants to like that use wants her to cor- power. corrupt yeah. her and use her power for some co- sort of evil thing. So they, they like give her a gun for her birthday, and she shoots her aunt. <laughs> uh, and then there's also like an angelic figure played by of all people John Houston, yeah. who lives at the top of a tower with a bunch of bald children from the future, who is trying to <laughs> turn her into Jesus or is turning her into another messiah. With Jesus' help, it's a little difficult to understand. It's insanely difficult to understand. What a weird watch, though. Like, seriously, I would tell you to do drugs and watch it, but it is drugs. Yeah, you don't need the drugs. It's doing fine on its own. It's so weird. Um, But yeah, I feel like that was supposed to be, initially, the premise of the show. It was going to be about this young boy constantly being told conflicting stories. Like, I have a conflict. What do I do? I'm going to talk to the demon. I'm going to talk to the angel. They're going to be the demon and angel on my shoulder, and I'm going to make a third choice, which is more human. I thought well, that that was a promising premise. To go back to Good Omens, there's a whole subplot about that in Good Omens, mm. where a demon and an angel decide, okay, well, here's the Antichrist, but if we tell him conflicting messages, maybe it'll just turn out normal. Mm. Meanwhile, the actual Antichrist has been misplaced. Yeah, we, don't, we just... don't know where the real Antichrist is. And the thing is, is that although there are clearly quote-unquote good people and quote-unquote bad people fighting over the soul of Caleb Temple, mm. there's also the community which has an interesting amount of influence in him as well. Right. Um, and we'll and talk about... And she's represent... Or the community yeah. <laughs> is represented by uh, the teacher, who uh, ends up looking after Caleb. Uh, no! Yeah, he, he, she's not... That the teacher doesn't. The owner of the uh, boarding house does. Who is... She's also a teacher, right? No. We never actually see the, what she the, does. The, she owns pa- a boarding house. That's the, her full-time the job. The Paige Turco character. No. Paige Turco... First off... Okay, I think you're... I think you've gotten your characters mixed up here. All right. Okay. Let's just run. I'm going to quickly okay. run down the rest of the supporting cast. Right. Uh, there is Caleb's cousin who has grown up in the big city. I think she's from Atlanta, uh-huh. uh, and she is a reporter. And she moves back into town when Caleb's family dies Wait, because she, was, she wants to take care of him. She was Caleb's cousin. Yes, okay. he calls her cuz. I, th- I thought that was just like Good Morrow calls, like from Shakespeare. No, actual cousins. 
Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. Yeah, actual okay. cousin. She's she's played by mm. uh, Paige Turco from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two and three. Mm. She was the April O'Neil in those movies. Mm. Um, this is a better role for her. Um, and uh, probably got more money for those turtles movies. Probably true. Yeah. Um, and uh, meanwhile, there's a teacher played by Brenda Backey, who you know as the sultry lady from Hot Shots Part Two. Mm. Uh, she was also uh, the sex worker in uh, Demon Knight. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was... Brenda Backey, I feel like, doesn't get enough credit. She was, like... Back in, like, the Sharon Stone erotic thriller days of, like, the 1990s, where there was mm-hmm. a certain kind of sultry role that was yeah. very sought after in a lot of films, mm-hmm. um, people thought of Sharon Stone as the apex predator of that whole... <laughs> yeah. Of that whole, well, you that, know, that, that whole... Thanks, thanks to Basic Instinct, but yeah. yeah. And, and Sliver mm-hmm. and other films of its ilk. Uh, but I always felt like Brenda Backey was the most, like, like, rawr. Like, you know, just sort of like, she's just like, she's going to get you sexually. sexually aggressive. She's right. so sexually aggressive and like everything. And she was good at it. Mm. And she has a sense of humor about it. And in American Gothic, over time, her character evolves a bit. And we see that there's a place of real, genuine right. emotional neediness behind it. Okay, I'm, I'm mixed up. She's the teacher. Yes. I, I, I just I conflated her and Paige Turco can, a little you, bit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then there's also a uh, what's her uh, name? That's kind of the the entire uh, the, the main cast. There's also cast, a lady who yeah. runs a boarding house. who's kind of a neutral okay. character who ends up actually taking care of Caleb. All right. Um, but yeah. So in the first two episodes, basically a two parter. Caleb is on the run. Uh, his cousin and the doctor are trying to find him before Sheriff Buck does. Uh, his cousin is also in town to tr- solve the mystery of who killed her parents in a fire. Who she thinks it's Sheriff Buck. Uh, and Sheriff Buck, we learn very quickly, uh, is after Caleb because he's Caleb's real father because he sexually assaulted his mother. Mm. And on top of that, the other big thing, and this is so important, uh, Merlin, dead but always around because she's now a ghost that only Caleb can see. And she can now like speak very articulately mm-hmm. and she can affect reality sometimes. A little bit. In one episode she borrows a soul and just becomes real. That's an interesting episode. <laughs> and, like, and it's just like a real human person and has a boyfriend and everything. And there's a major dramatic shift about halfway through the season in terms of what role she plays on the show, but we'll get to that mm-hmm. uh, when we get to that. Now, again, talking about the show is a little tricky because, as you said, you ended up watching it close to network release order, Mm. which is all over the place and very confusing. Yeah. I watched it. I'm pretty sure I watched it in the correct order. Okay. So I should be able to maybe clarify this a little bit better. Maybe so. I I also, I have to admit, I have a a streak of, I guess you might call it plot dyslexia. Um, (laughs) There's a a, a certain kind of storytelling that if, like... Facts are presented in a certain way. I have like trouble sort of absorbing them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not only was I not able to sort of nail down the characters, I couldn't follow this thing at all. Okay, it well, felt like a fresh start each time. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to piece together well, I remember, like a, a, a scatter shot sneeze of demonic crap. I remember <laughs> when I watched this on DVD, no one had told me it was out of order. That didn't come mm-hmm. out until after it had been out and people reviewed it. Um, so I watched the entire thing in order on the DVD, and I was the exact same way. Yeah. Constantly confused. So I was like, my God, this is so avant-garde. No, it's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wrong. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can't speak to anything like character progression, because the mm. characters do not progress in my experience with this show. And, and they, they really do, and that's a mm. damn shame, because the show, I think, deserves better presentation than that. But... Uh, um, uh, 
t- taking like character by character, what are their arcs? Well, okay. uh, Lucas uh, seems to be a good sort of moral center for the show. Uh, um, or, or Lucas Black, that is. Caleb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caleb is a good moral center because he is constantly getting a lot of different uh, influences from mm-hmm. all of these different people around him. And sometimes talking, he does the know, wrong thing. Sometimes yeah, sometimes he does, he does the, right the wrong thing. Wrong thing and sometimes he does the right thing, but he's very human. He's a very human character, mm-hmm. and I think that's a good, uh, good anchor for and, the show. And Lucas Black, by the way, so damn good in this show. Like, he's a preternaturally talented yeah, young yeah. actor, and we see over time he plays various different versions of this character, ones who are very affected by his father, ones who are very affected by his sister, and it always feels organic, and by the final two episodes, he is creepy as hell, <laughs> and I love it. He's awesome. Um, but then we also have Sheriff Buck. The problem is the show isn't about... They, they go a little too expansive with the kind of different interweaving soap opera-like threads mm-hmm. between the characters. So it's not about the relationship between Caleb and Sheriff Buck. It's a, like, it is in, like, a third of the episodes, but the other times, Sheriff Buck's just out there doing stuff and Caleb's not in it a lot. I feel like American Gothic is the kind of show that probably would have benefited from being allowed to have 12-episode seasons as opposed to 24-episode seasons, yeah, because we, there's a lot of episodes that are kind of done-in-one, Tales from the Crypty kind of mm-hmm. filler episodes, and although I think they do a pretty good job of keeping the characters and subplots alive during those, it's also clear that we didn't need them all, and... Mm-hmm. I do think that one of the important things for any show that wants to have longevity is the ability to tell different kinds of stories so it doesn't feel very samey all the time. Right. Um, There are some shows that get away with telling the exact same story every week. Law and Order, CSI. Mm. There are variations, but basically it's the same format all the time and people like that. Uh, But with American Gothic, you have this show about the supernatural war over a child's soul. You have... It, there's a cop at the center of this. They're, they do cop episodes where there's like a hostage crisis <laughs> and there's a guy who like mm. so, sewed a bomb into his stomach and stuff and you can do that episode mm. and it's interesting to see what an evil cop would do in that situation. I like the bomb and the body episode. That was I also one. like the Boston, I like the bottle episodes because I could follow them. There you go. Uh, the bomb and the body was really fun. Uh, the last episode on the discs but should have aired way earlier on was the Boston Strangler episode. Yeah, there's an episode in which Sheriff Buck resurrects the Boston Strangler to do his dirty work. The actual guy. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We can do this episode by episode. All right, so... Can we? we? Yes, we can. Very easily, if you'll let me start. All right. All right, so the first two-part episode, there was the pilot and one called A Tree Grows in Trinity. We've already talked you through most of that. Uh, The only thing that we didn't mention is Arnold Vosloo is in it. Arnold Vosloo hmm. plays a guy who is a reporter who is looking into the activities of Sheriff Buck, uh, who the oversexed teacher had been keeping chained up in a basement. Sheriff Buck had told her to kill him, but instead she just kept having sex with him. And there's this really weird exchange in which uh, she says, oh, he won't be able to tell anyone anything. And he's like, what, you didn't bite off his tongue in a fit of passion, did you? And there's a really long pause. And you're just like, yeah. Um... Anyway, Arnold Vosloo dies, and uh, we move on. Uh, The next episode is called Eye of the Beholder. In this episode, there is a legal proceeding to decide who will get uh, custody of uh, Caleb. Caleb, yeah. Uh, And everyone everyone wants custody of Caleb, basically. And uh, Lucas actually... uh, Lucas Buck... Mm -hmm. Let's say Buck. To keep it confusing. Caleb and Buck. Uh, Buck uses his influence to basically tell a judge, you have to give me custody of the boy. 
And uh, it turns out that the judge is dying of cancer, and he doesn't care anymore what Lucas Buck can do to him. So he gives the kid to the person who's actually best for the kid, who is a neighbor who runs a boarding house. Mm. So Caleb and it and mm. the doctor moves into the boarding house, and his cousin moves into the boarding house, and every once in a while, a new person is staying at the boarding house and becomes the center of a done-in-one storyline. Uh, then there's uh, an episode which I didn't watch. Because I was oh. as I was bouncing around from disc to disc, watching the show, I got lost in the shuffle. <laughs> I got lost in the shuffle, and I didn't see the episode "Damned If You Don't," which is what happens when Sheriff Buck wants his teenage daughter to work for somebody. Oh yeah, that can one. you can you give me the gist of this one? Because no. I don't remember it at all. Okay, like, look, I, I watched this one a, a while back, <laughs> and it was confusing as hell. And now now I have like sort of this disadvantage of. It's already slipping out of my memory. Got it. Because, quite frankly, it's not a very memorable show. Mm. <laughs> I think it's it's. And I'm not just saying this because it's because I watched the episodes out of order. I think it's badly told. Okay. Uh, well, we'll get into that. Uh-huh. Uh, the next episode, and we're going to go through these pretty quick because most of them are pretty straightforward. The next episode, uh, Gail, the reporter from Atlanta, investigates. Uh, someone Sheriff Buck may have murdered, an old girlfriend of Sheriff Buck from the 1980s uh, who disappeared in a car accident, and she thinks Sheriff Buck killed him. Uh, it all boils down to he didn't. Uh, he may have let her drown, but he didn't let her die, and now, uh, after having four minutes without oxygen, she has been interred in a mental institution, and her mother doesn't want anyone to know because she's ashamed. So she's been telling everyone she's dead when she's actually not. Hmm. Sad story. Yeah. But uh, but it's the first inclination that Sheriff Buck may not be as cartoonishly evil as he was originally portrayed. And it's his first uh, uh, opportunity to interact with Gale in a way where Gale is forced to say Sheriff Buck isn't all bad. Which starts getting, leading her down a path to moral complexity, moral quandary, mm-hmm. and by the end of the show she's sleeping with him. Uh, so answer me this is is Sheriff Buck you said like he it's like he's a demon who's leaping from body to body and is just now occupying Sheriff Buck yeah like through the family line so was he evil when that happened yeah he was. That's the implication. He, he was. He was already a. Demon. The implication is that he was already dead. That, that, that that's dead. what I thought. And yeah. I, I thought the implication was that he did kill this person. Uh, he, he may have tried to, but she he she didn't die, mm. and he's actually been like visiting her every week, mm. and so we've seen that. So he's not, you know, ju- he's not Skeletor. Like he's actually <laughs> there. There are layers to his villainy, and maybe mm. he actually does have emotional investment in people. We shall see. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next episode is Meet the Beatles, but it's spelled with two E's, like, properly. And here we get Bruce Campbell showing up. Oh, yeah. Hi, Bruce. Uh, Caleb uncovers a pair of skeletons in his old, uh, in or near his old house. And it's a medical mystery because these people who have been completely skeletonized were alive three days ago. And so they are trying to figure out what the hell happened. This, Fun this, little setup. This is this is an X Files episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Campbell shows up as a detective from out of town, mm-hmm. uh, who instantly has uh, an antagonistic relationship with Sheriff Buck, because of course he does. What we find out eventually is that the people who were skeletonized were skeletonized by a uh, form of beetle, 
which actually is from the area, which is basically like the piranha of the beetle world, and they can skeletonize people within a couple hours. Well, I mean, bugs can do that. Bugs can do that, but like this particular breed of beetle, it's everywhere. Who the hell knows how they got it? And it turns out the person who killed those people killed them because he was in love with the teacher, and she was sleeping with everybody, and he was killing everyone she was sleeping with. And when it looked like she was actually going to have an affair with Bruce Campbell, he throws Bruce Campbell into a box with all this bug, all these bugs, and they're like eating his stomach, and he's screaming. And then like people keep finding him and then closing the door on him so they can interact with other people. And he's like screaming and dying in there, and no one's letting him out. And it feels so Bruce Campbell. It's, it's very. It's what Sam Raimi does yeah. to Bruce Campbell in movies, like the most like, comfortable thing. I'm going to throw you in this box of Beatles, mm. and we're not even going to let your character out even after we know what's wrong and it's bad. But Bruce Campbell is a good screamer. <laughs> he's got a great scream, and he's and he's comfortable being covered in beetles, yeah. which I appreciate because I'm sure they weren't like dangerous, but that's got to be ooky. I know that when actors do scenes like that, often um, they'll have to rub beetle like dead beetle parts on their bodies mm. like on their skin just to make sure there's no weird allergy yeah i know uh when jennifer tilly did bride of chucky there's a scene where she handles a tarantula yeah and she got on the phone with her agent saying hey so i can't wait to shoot this thing and they said great did you get the tarantula legs yet mm-hmm. and she said what <laughs> So yeah, take take the legs out and just sort of rub them on your skin and see what happens. Oh, I missed an episode here because I was I started reading them in actual order for by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an episode that didn't air in the original run uh, that it was in the middle there, which is so disposable. It's called Potato Boy. And which one was Potato Boy? There's a mysterious child who lives in a house next door. Oh who yeah, sings Potato Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they call him Potato Boy because he's you know got kind of an elephant man kind of mm-hmm. thing going, and it looks a little odd. And, um, and it's all about how Caleb needs to learn not to judge people by their appearance. And and they, the, the sense I got from this was that the Potato Boy was was like going to be a key player. Oh, it was going to be something important. Yeah, like he was like singing these angelic songs, and you thought, oh, well, clearly he's an angelic presence, and he does end up ascending, if I recall. Yeah, uh, Merlin helps him, like, you know, Mm. reach heaven and all that good stuff. Yeah, That's cool, but like, yeah, it it is a done-in-one episode that feels kind of nowhere. Also, in that episode, we're introduced to a very young Evan Rachel Wood, who is a supporting character in like three of these. She uh, she was a child actor. I know she was, she was, she was, she was, while, she was yeah. there. I'm just saying, sort of like I didn't even recognize her actually. Um, okay, so then from there, what happened after Potato? Boy? We need, <laughs> meet the Beatles. I, no, I, can't, I can't tell you. That's the problem okay. with this show. Next up, we had Strong Arm of the Law. Uh-huh. Strong Arm of the Law. Uh, a bunch of new jerks move to town. And they start basically pulling a protection racket where they are collecting money. But they're collecting money in the name of the sheriff's department. Like, oh, you're going to give to the sheriff's department's retirement fund, right? And uh, so Sheriff Buck finds ways to torture and kill all of them. Yeah. Basically, it's, it's, it's the first episode in which we have seen Sheriff Buck maybe not challenged, but inconvenienced. Where like he's he's in, he's well, so he, used he to seemed, being in he, charge, he seemed that when, annoyed by a lot of the things that were going on. Yeah, like when things don't go his way, he gets really pissed off. He does get really pissed off, but this is one where it's just like it, it's usually like oh the doctor is defying me or someone's like trying to teach Caleb to be nice instead of evil. And here it's actually like him like on the job, someone is undermining his authority. Yeah, and that is driving him insane. So he does horrible things to them. Uh, let's see what's the next one here. Uh, so to Helen back. Okay. 
Um, two, which they all all the names mean nothing. Yeah, the Hell and Back, which aired fourteenth, so about seven episodes later that should have. Um, oh, this is the where that we learn more about the Doctor and yeah. he's a more or less like his role changes. Uh, it starts to here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Doctor Crower, uh, he he we we found out a while ago that he was a recovering alcoholic, mm. and he had a very tragic. Uh, experience in which he was drunk driving and his wife and daughter died and he's been sober ever since and everyone wants to give him another chance but Sheriff Buck is just like once an alcoholic always an alcoholic and then finally Sheriff Buck tempts Dr. Crower into drinking more well not to well to drinking more but what he actually tempts him to is a second chance Go, oh, the, that's right he goes back in time you can go back in time hmm. and you can be on that car ride with your wife and daughter and you can try again Mm. And what he happens is he goes back in time. Sober, he, sober this time. Sober. Because he was drunk the first time. Uh, he has a bottle in his pocket, which, of course, his wife finds and accuses him of being drunk again. Uh, but that's just because Sheriff Buck gave him one. So that's Sheriff Buck being evil again. Um, and what he discovers is that he has been looking back at that time with rose-colored glasses. Not only... Uh, was he an alcoholic? But his wife had long ago checked out of their marriage, mm-hmm. and and his, his child hated him. Yeah, yeah and she, it's basically was... just like she was going to leave him and take him away. And so instead of getting into a car accident because he was drunk driving, they get into a car accident because they kicked him out of the car and went off on their own, weren't mm-hmm. paying attention to the road, and died anyway. <laughs> Which is mm-hmm. very American Gothic. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, th- th- things weren't as bad as you thought. They were worse. Uh-huh. And you should have been grateful for the for yeah, your ignorance. It, it, it turns out that yeah, the reason they were driving away was his wife was already leaving him, and he yeah. didn't remember that part of the conversation because he, he was, was drunk. drunk. Yeah, which is honestly mm-hmm. good drama, good tales from the crypt yeah. kind of ironic twist there. And from that point on, uh, Doctor Crower gets more and more focused on trying to destroy Sheriff Buck, which will uh, go really, really badly for him. Uh, the next one is called the Beast Within. That's the one where uh, Ben, the uh, the deputy, uh, his brother is a mentally ill soldier or former soldier mm. who sews a bomb into his chest, a la that guy from The Dark Knight, and holds everyone hostage, including Sheriff Buck and uh, Caleb and Caleb's cousin and Dr. Crower. So it's a bottle episode. Everyone's yeah. just sort of stuck there. And there's a really good bit in this one I like where after they've been like held at gunpoint by this guy who has a bomb in his chest... Where Sheriff Buck's just like, all right, I'm bored. He's just he's just gonna walk out of the room. I was like, he can't walk out of the room. I have a gun. What, are you gonna shoot me? Maybe. No, I'm good. Thanks. And he just leaves. Which mm. <laughs> is just he doesn't carry a gun, Sheriff Buck. And he talks about how if you have to use violence on people, they'll fear you, but they won't be on your side. He wants to manipulate people to being on his side. So no matter what the situation is, he never responds with violence. He always responds with talking. Mm. Mm. Which kids like leads to some fun episodes here and there. Um, Although it, it it's a really this is a Sam Raimi produced show, so whenever yeah. Lucas Buck does his sort of talk talky powers, like when he's trying to manipulate mm. people, it's all really broad. Yeah, it's all like really. It, it almost feels comic in how sort of how evil he comes across in those. Scenes. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes less so. But mm. yeah, it is it is a Sam Raimi show. And Sam Raimi shows aren't very uh, subtle. Mm. Uh, this one's probably more subtle than most because there are a lot of episodes in which they do deal with real human horror mm. and drama. But there's also 
really cheap CGI. Like, it was good for the time for TV, but, like, just superimposing Sarah Paulson's face over a statue looks terrible. Like, it looks really kind of embarrassingly yeah, silly. But it, it's fine, you know. It's fine. It's just, cheap it's, video that, effects are what we all we were all raised on. They're just cheap video effects. It's fine. Uh, the next episode is called Rebirth. Uh, this one uh, is the episode you referred to earlier where Merlin is, you know, she never got to live. She never got to live her life. She died very young, and she, she died... She held, held, kind of held hostage in her house her yep. whole life. Now she's a ghost, and she has dreams. Yeah, she's... Dreams she's, and ambitions. She's still a teenager. But, but in order to come back to life, she needs a soul. Yeah. And she needs someone else's soul. And so she and, borrows the soul of an unborn child in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like, it's still in her mother's womb, and it's, you know, supposed to have, like, a month before it was born. And Merlin's just like, well, the child's not needing its soul for a while. So Merlin borrows the child's soul and like it comes back and it starts living her life and having an affair with uh, you know a, 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 a naive love affair uh-huh. with Danny Masterson from uh, uh, that '70s show. Uh, and um, yeah, but then it turns out that the child actually needs its soul or it will die. <laughs> and she has to. Caleb has to convince Merlin to give up her life and any sort of future she could have ever had. But in to, to time, child, yeah. in time to save this unborn child, because once the child is born, it's too late. Mm. Um, which is uh, it's a little cheesy as the storyline goes, but it's got a good ticking clock on it. I think Sarah Paulson mm. sells it. And and after this incident, she kind of. She's kind of out of the show after this, there's right? A, there's a bit in the show, like right in the middle, mm. where Merlin kind of disappears for a while, but it's actually after... Is it the next episode? There's an episode... Uh, is it Ring of Fire? Hang on. Sorry, they're, they're all yeah, out of order, so it's yeah, a little confusing. You, you might notice that we're not talking about Caleb a lot. Well, <laughs> like Caleb they, is... They sort of pushed him off to the side pretty fast here, yeah, so that I'm not really sure what function he serves until the very end. There was all of this, notion, all of this idea that... That Sheriff Buck was going to raise him and yeah. presumably turn well, him into the Antichrist. Yeah. But now he's just a supporting player in Lucas Buck's story. And Lucas a Buck bit. is distracted by other stuff. What, what happened? Okay, so there's an episode early on, we kind of missed it because it was a subplot, where uh, Caleb was in an archery contest with a friend from school. And Lucas Buck was using right. this as an excuse uh, to sort of start turning Caleb towards the dark side mm. and uh, say like, you use know, a, use a weapon. You're, yeah. you're powerful with the weapon. You're powerful yeah. with a weapon. Your friend is not your friend when you're competing with him. He would, he's better than you at archery. Well, if he was your friend, he wouldn't be, would he? And uh, he also tricks Caleb into shooting a bird and yeah. Caleb feels really bad about it. And Merlin is horrifically offended by what's, cause her main thing is Caleb can't become the antichrist basically. Mm. Um, so around that episode, Merlin is so like disappointed with Caleb that she just doesn't visit him for a while, and that will be important in a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, Caleb again, he's he's sort of a babe in the woods for a lot of this. He's a witness to it. He's naive. He's not really mm-hmm. driving the action. And uh, the question of will Sheriff Bug raise him gets kind of muddled. There's this thing that happens in intense situations or bizarre situations where the people within that situation start to normalize. This becomes their daily routine. So even though Caleb knows that Sheriff Buck is a bad guy and killed his sister, even though though he saw in a flashback Sheriff Buck sexually assault his mother, Sheriff Buck's also there every day. Sheriff Buck is also bringing pies to the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And Sheriff Buck is also, like, giving him gifts and being nice to him. So he's basically got this relationship with... He's got another relationship with an abusive father, just a different kind of abuse. A very insidious psychological abuse. 
Um, so Caleb starts actually veering more towards hanging out with Sheriff Buck, even though we know he shouldn't. But he's young, and he's naive, and he's mm. just adapting to what's around him. And this is something that I feel is completely lost when you watch him out of order. Caleb's attachment to Sheriff Buck gets increasingly solidified over the course of the series to the point where okay. they are... They, I, I do feel like it's really organic when you watch it in order. All right. That part is. Um, so the next episode uh, is called Ring of Fire. And here we find... Uh, Gail, the reporter who was investigating the mysterious death of her parents, makes a very similar deal to what Dr. Crower did, where she's investigating Sheriff Buck to think Sheriff Buck might have killed her parents, and Sheriff Buck agrees to show her the past. And it turns out... That her father was abusive to her and she had repressed those memories. Mm. He was abusive to her mother. Her mother was sleeping with somebody. Her mother and her lover had conspired to burn down their place of business with the husband inside. But the husband had just finished beating her unconscious. So she was in there too. And they all died. And she just didn't remember any of that. And, and that all... was about yeah, her re- rediscovering those memories. And when she in- finds... Investigating, finding hard evidence. And when Gail finds that out, she starts seeing other sides of Sheriff Buck. Like, oh, I assumed you were more evil than you are. Hmm. Should we fuck? And then they eventually do. Um, <laughs> let's see, what do we got here? Okay, can I just say I hate this show? You hate this show? <laughs> I hate this show. I disagree with it, it you is, very, very it is, much. It is uh, just so so dunderheaded and clumsy and bad with character. Uh, and I'm not... And, and again... You're right. I'm not getting a lot of the the story arcs and the way they're kind of setting yeah. up sort of the long term stories. But I think even like scene by scene and beat by beat within the episodes, think like tones and stories and ideas come so fast and change so rapidly, mm-hmm. even within a single episode. Yes. And because if I'm if I'm watching them out of order, I'm not seeing any consequences to any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it that's... feels like they're having a lot of really fun ideas in the writers' room. And then they're kicking all those writers out and bringing in an entirely <laughs> new team and having like similar fun ideas. I, I'm and, with you and on And the this. tone is rotating so quickly that it doesn't give me anything to hang on to in terms of, of character story and, most importantly, tone. I feel like you're supposed to be able to hang on Caleb as he is gradually turned one way or another. I'm and also, to, but he's out of the show I, so frequently. I, I know. And also Dr. Crower and Gale as they are manipulated by Sheriff Buck and Dr. Crower gets darker and uh, mm. Gale becomes romantically linked with the sheriff against her own will, practically. Um, I feel like that was supposed to be the hook. But when you watch all the you completely lose that. Mm. It is a cacophony of different story types and tones. That's one of the things I like about it. I like that this show is so many different things. And I like it can be okay. humorously satanic and horrifically satanic. Yeah. Sometimes well, from scene to scene mm. or even shot to shot. There's something I find very Sam Raimi-esque about that. Because that's, <laughs> he's very, you know, he's a Three Stooges fan. He wants to just throw pies mm. at the screen. And, I mean, yeah, it's not his show. It's Sean Cassidy's show. But it feels like it's in that vein yeah. of madcap horror. Um and I feel like if you watch it in order, your connection to the character sneaks up on you, so that when it ends in a very broad fashion, it has more emotional resonance than you might have suspected. Mm. So we watch it's weird. We watch the same show. We watched a very different show. I, 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 we can disagree on it. That's uh-huh. fine. But I do feel like you didn't see the same show I did because you watched it completely out of order. 
No, but not comp- like similar order because we're we're uh, the four that they never aired or initially were on the discs last, and I ended up seeing those four last. Mm-hmm. But having those four at the end, I could kind of because I saw the climax when it happened, yeah, and I understood what was going on after that. I'm most, not, if not, not all of those, way. most if not all of those four that were just completely shoved. At the there, there were kind of bottle episodes anyway. Yeah, there, there was there wasn't like important information revealed in there that would have cleared things up for me. I don't think so. Yeah, not, not that I recall. Anyway, uh, um, the, the 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 coming. And going of Sarah Paulson's character I knew was something that I, I had not I didn't have a grip, grip on yeah because she's here and she's not and she's here and she's not and I understood that she was up a, up in the show up to a certain point and then vanished right well here's the next episode that we're going to talk about is Resurrector uh, and in this episode uh, the Sheriff Buck subplots just this kind of fun Tales from the Crypt mm. uh, Place in the Sun kind of thing where a guy went and, it, Sheriff Buck tempts a guy to murder his wife Oh, right, in order yeah, yeah. to succeed on television, and it doesn't go well for him. Mm-hmm. But the big important thing is that Caleb uh, decides to have a ritual. Merlin hasn't visited him in a long time. And he mm. is convinced by the woman who runs the boarding house uh, that he needs to let her go. So he performs a ritual that is supposed to like clear her connections to the, the waking world. He's supposed to burn everything that reminded him of her. Mm-hmm. But he accidentally performs a ritual that turns her into an avenging spirit. And so for the rest of the series, she becomes more powerful and starts being able to interact with the real world more. And she takes it upon herself to become the anti-Sheriff Buck and start tempting people to do good things Mm -hmm. rather than bad things. And she becomes a major thorn in his side. She doesn't do this by, like, talking to them, though. She just sort of appears and gestures in sort of an angelic sort of way. No, she she talks. She talks to... She talks, but yeah. She goes... Goes on a date with the deputy. No, I thought that was the other episode where she goes on the date with the deputy. It's after this episode. It was supposed I, no, I, to be. I thought it was the one where she became real, where she goes on the date with That's the deputy. One of, no, 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 no. She goes on the date with like the, the motorcycle dude. Yeah. There's an, there's an episode. Is it the next episode? There's an episode right or shortly after this mm. in which uh, Merlin uh, basically starts haunting uh, Sheriff Buck's deputy, who's in a moral mm. crisis himself. Um, and she starts basically trying to teach him how to resist the temptation to not do the right thing. It's not that he's actively doing the evil thing. He's just seeing the right thing to do and not doing it. Mm. And she shows him throughout the episode how that has consequences. And so there's an episode in which he sees that he thinks that, okay, look, Sheriff Buck murdered that poor girl. Um, he says it was a blessing because her life would have been terrible, but you know, it's just one murder. I mean, that's horrible, but it's an isolated incident. Um, I'm not really preventing anything by stopping him at this point. And Merlin shows him like, uh, no, all of that had this ripple effect. And because Sheriff Buck murdered my mother and he murdered me. Now these people are suffering and these kids no longer have a home to live in. And so every single opportunity you have to do the right thing matters, no matter how small it seems. And so I think that's a whole episode about her being way more explicit. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that's the next episode or not, but by God, it's in there. Uh, Inhumanitas. Um, yeah. Hold on. No, I'm sorry. There's so many episodes. It's a really long show. Um, we were we were slated to do this series last week, but I think we didn't quite acknowledge that it is a one-hour show with 22 episodes. Which is, which we want to do done more of, but it's hard. It's hard because it, it's just a, a big time commitment. Yeah. And, uh, so, it's not yeah, physically we to, difficult to do. We know we're not in a coal mine. It just literally takes time. Mm. And we have other jobs. Other, other things, jobs so to do. It's so, hard yeah. to do. Um, but yeah, so in the next episode, Pat Hinkle shows up. 
As a priest. As a priest. Or, or I guess he's a, a minister. He's a minister. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he made a deal with Lucas Buck to spare the church from a fire. Um, but in return, he has to tell uh, Sheriff Buck everything he hears in confessional. Yeah. Oh, so I guess he is a, a priest. He is a like priest. Catholic yeah, priest. he's so. a Catholic priest. Um, and he wants to burn down the church because the contract is only null and void if the church is burned by fire. Mm. But he can't bring himself to do it. And so there's a bit where he tries to hire a prostitute because she might know an arsonist. <laughs> he like doesn't know how to contact <laughs> criminals. It's actually kind of funny. But the person he hires is actually Merlin in disguise, and so she tells him how to actually... Get one over yeah. on Sheriff Buck. Pat, Pat Hingle, by the way, is such a class act. Great like, actor. He, I, I knew him for so many years just because he played Commissioner Gordon in the <laughs> Tim Burton era of Batman films. Right. Uh, those last two, it's like he had like one scene in each of them. And the first one, he actually has kind of a big role. But yeah, he's like a, an old world acting veteran, mm-hmm. and he brings so and much I, so much history to every character he plays. Like he looks yeah. like he's always lived. Well, and and but unfortunately, again, he feels really out of place in this ostensibly sort of hip, fast moving, tonally strange sort of show. See, I don't think it's... and he's sort of like giving this old world bedrock type of performance, like something out of Perry Mason. See, I... that feels way out of place. I, I don't think I think I think when you call it a hip, it makes it sound like there's a poochie on the show, mm. and and there just is. It's it's stylistically very now, but I feel like American Gothic, just as the title implies, it's steeped in history. It's like the history. Like there's a there's a scene in the movie, very telling, where the teacher is teaching her class. Series, yeah. Sorry, the the class. We we do that a lot. We gotta stop recording at midnight. Um, Mm. She's teaching her class, and she's they're talking about all of these people who changed the world because they believed in peace, and she lists up people like. Jesus Christ, mm. and Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King, and Robert E. Lee. And someone says, uh, wasn't he a general in Civil War? And she was like, yeah, but he didn't want to be. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so we're seeing how, like, the historical revisionism and the moral sort of platitudes we tell ourselves in order to make ourselves feel better about really horrible things that happened <laughs> are infecting the society on sort of every level. And so mm. I don't think it's very graceful about that, but I think that's what it's steeped in. I think it's stained the show, whether or not that stain always shows. Mm-hmm. Is that there's a, it's very pointedly taking place in the South in a very Christian community with a lot of secrets, yeah. very patent place. Right, right, right. You know, like I feel like that's important, and mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's not nothing. I think Pat Hingle gives you more of that. Okay, he get that side of the town. I think so. Right. Um, this is also a fun episode. This is actually one of the better, like I think Sheriff Buck subplots, where he is this. I think it's one of his best temptations. He's trying to convince a guy to sell his property for 750000 which is a lot. And he, in order to do that, he has to betray a promise he made to his father that an old blind man who'd been a friend in the family and like their gardener for oh, forever right, yeah. with, could live on their property that, yeah. until he died. He, would nev- he promised never to force him to move. And he would have to do that to yeah, sell and, the property. And so he eventually, after a lot of soul searching, it's not easy for him, even though he's not necessarily an upstanding person. Um, he decides to have the guy like committed for a week and then while he's gone he can do whatever he wants to the property and so he sells it and only when he sells it does he realize that it was 750,000 francs and he actually didn't make any money on the deal and he totally got screwed that was cute, and man. also the French are like very touched by the story that he told this guy he could live there so he has to move but the old blind guy gets to stay in, yeah. which again makes Sheriff Buck come out like the hero doesn't it but it's not. <laughs> it's a really fucked up story. That's a great little subplot. Should have been the plot. 
Well, it was. It was good, though. It's a plot of that episode, subplot of the series. I like the climax of that episode, though. The way the priest sort of gets out of it. Mm. And in that he doesn't. Yeah. Says, what's the moral thing to do here? How do, it's like he realizes that he needs to stop covering his ass. Mm-hmm. So he just, in the middle of his sermon, so, tells gets, everybody. Yeah, gets he, up in front of his yeah. sermon and confesses. He says, I, I've been telling the, somebody in the community all of your confession. Everybody says, oh yeah, Lucas Buck, probably. Yeah, yeah I mean, he know. doesn't need to say who it is. Yeah. They, they, they know. <laughs> uh, the next episode is gets really broad. Uh, Merlin, in an attempt to uh, sort of exact righteous vengeance on the whole town, because it's full of sinners, because they've been letting Sheriff Buck run everything, mm. puts a plague on the town. She, like, turns the whole river red and everyone starts bleeding out the eyes and having horrifying hallucinations about Judgment Day. Oh, God, this show. That one's really... This episode's really weird because it's so huge. It feels like it should be the series finale when you start giving a plague, Mm. like a biblical plague to the town. Um, We also are introduced to a new new star, a new uh, co-star. There is... uh, What's his name? Uh... Uh, I forget the actor's name. The guy, uh, the guy who plays the other doctor. Remember the uh, other doctor? The other doctor. Yeah, uh, the... Billy Peel, played by John Meese. Uh, he is uh, originally brought on in order to deal, help deal with the plague. He's like a new doctor who comes to town to s- oh, solve this yeah, mysterious yeah, yeah, infection. Yeah, right, right, okay, but yeah. uh, he's going to stick around because after the next episode, after they, after Caleb convinces Merlin not to plague everybody, <laughs> which is basically it. Um, we're we're about to lose Doctor Crower. Doctor Crower in the next episode, um, he is still investigating the mysterious death of Merlin, and he runs into oh, a woman. Remember that? Yeah, that <laughs> was, was part, kind of a big deal. Part once. of the show at the start. It's weird how my point is like the normalization of it. It's like it's weird how quickly we just sort of let that slide. Uh, uh, what you're calling what they what they let slide is strikes me as lazy writing, perhaps. Yeah. Um. In any case, he runs into... Oh, what's his name? That lady from Alien. Veronica oh, Veronica Cartwright. Cartwright, yeah. Veronica Cartwright. Who is uh, Lucas Buck's mother. Yeah, she says she's Lucas Buck's mother, but, and she's trying to murder him. Yeah, she she gave birth to, essentially, a demon, and yeah. knows he's a demon and wants to kill him. So she's he stops her from killing Sheriff Buck, but then he starts talking to her, and she starts convincing him that Sheriff Buck is an evil being that must be stopped. Uh-huh. Unbeknownst to him, she's not his mother. In fact, she was his first lover, and she's been obsessed with Sheriff Buck this entire time, and that's why she wants to kill him. Dr. Crower never finds out about that, and eventually, uh, in the next episode after this, he is uh, accused of killing Sheriff No, 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 that's a little bit later. He tries to kill Sheriff Buck. Mm. He tries to flat-out murder him. Doesn't go well, and then he's imprisoned, and that's the last we ever see of him. <laughs> that's right. He's just off. But if you watched it in sorry, if you watched it in in uh, release order, in the next episode he was back, and they never talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, that, that sort of thing I can put together. Like, yeah. like uh, when there's a big change, I can always sort of piece it together, and then that that, that doesn't bother me so much. The next episode, in in again in the correct order, is my favorite episode because mm. it's the Evil Dead episode. Oh, where they go to the act, the, like the real Evil Dead house with the real Ted Raimi? They do. Yeah, they actually go to like the original shack from at least Evil Dead Two. I'm not sure if it's the same one from Evil Dead One, oh. but they go to the original shack. It looks they either got a shack and made it up to look exactly mm. like it, or they got the same one. I think they got the same one. Ted Raimi is there. Ted Raimi has kidnapped along with two other people 
a cigarette tycoon, and they're you're, they're getting hostage money for him. Oh. Unbeknownst to them, but Sheriff they're... Buck and Caleb are going on a fishing trip to that cabin. And th- this was pre-Fargo, so oh, yeah. this is this weirdly prescient. I was like, oh, they were... Wait a minute, this is 95, Fargo was 96. Yeah. This is weird. Very specific. Weird, weird coincidence. Yeah, there's a lot of like similarities. It's kind of funny, but they're clearly having fun with the Evil Dead thing. And what's funny is, the beginning of the episode's kind of super odd, because like, Caleb electrocutes himself and dies and then and <laughs> Lucas is able to bring him back well here there was a turning point here too with yeah. Caleb because spoilers uh, Caleb like ends up turning evil by the end of the series very evil and I'm guessing that this this was the turning point for Caleb a big turning point he, yeah, yeah. He, he was electrocuted he's brought back with like Lucas's Lucas Bucks Lucas Black yeah um, Sheriff Bucks Sheriff Bucks like demon powers and yeah. I think he came back with like a little bit of the stink of evil about him well he he dies and Merlin comes to him and just says hey Caleb you had a great run let's go and then Sheriff Buck has like projected himself into the afterlife mm-hmm. and says hey Caleb you know you can come back, right? Your sister kind of conveniently didn't tell you that, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't your sister f- happy you're dead because she's afraid you'll be you'll turn to the dark side if you stay alive? And Merlin's just like, kinda. <laughs> and Lucas is just like, well, can I bring her with me? No, you can't. She's dead. Well, then I'm going with you. Yeah. <laughs> and then he does. And then he's very happy to go on a fishing trip with Sheriff Buck. And there's this really surreal bit where they, they go to the cabin. And there's, like, Ted Raimi's there, and he accidentally shot the guy. And he's all, like, panicking and freaking out. And Sheriff Buck and Caleb, both of them, completely unfazed. By this point, they've... Sheriff Buck has seen worse than this a million times. <laughs> Caleb has seen worse than this a million times this year. So they're both just sort of like, oh, he's got a gun on us. Should we give him some trail mix? Yeah, yeah, it's spicy. It's my own special recipe. <laughs> And so he just starts manipulating all of these kidnappers into shooting each other, and then he gets Caleb to use his psychic powers to kill them, oh, using fun. evil dead effects. By the way, Caleb has superpowers now. Well, he's gonna anyway. He's gonna be the new Sheriff Buck. And we, he can see well, ghosts. Now, no one now, else can. Now we know that. He can yeah. see ghosts before anyone else can, and... Um, yeah, he, he's, he's definitely got... He's got the shine. <laughs> I think is yeah. what, what, we, what we're going to say here. Anyway, that episode's really fun, and just also just as a horror nerd, it just works, so I'm a fan. Yeah, the, the horror, I, I agree. The, the reference was nice. Mm-hmm. Ted Raimi's always a delight. Uh, he had a re- recurring role on uh, Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, yeah. He's like the, the goofy male sidekick to the two main I characters. Think was, I think he played the same character in Hercules a bit, too, but yeah. Mm. Uh, there, there, was, there was crossover. They were in the same mm. universe. Uh, the next episode is the one I was telling you about before. Uh, it's called Echo of Your Last Goodbye, and that's the one where uh, Merlin tries to convince the sheriff's deputy to be a good person. We already talked about that a little bit. Mm. Um, <laughs> the next one is the Boston Strangler episode where uh, Merlin has been a thorn in the sheriff's side for far too long and the only way to kill a ghost is by getting to another get ghost, ghost to kill them. To kill that. Oh, this it's, no, it's the same rule as the Frighteners where if you, you can That's kill true. a ghost but uh, when you kill a ghost they just disappear with, with forever. A, a ghostly thing, yeah. They're just sort yeah. of dead. So he literally, not like some other fictional serial killer, literally brings back the Boston Strangler. Mm. To find and kill Merlin. And there's this really funny bit. But he's he's mortal, but he can also interact with ghosts. No, now. he's not mortal. He's just the kind of ghost who people can see if he wants them to. 
like, but, Merle, here, here but the, no, he, he like gets a job and can move stuff around. No, he doesn't get a job. He just looks like he has a job. He doesn't fill, fill out any paperwork for it. Oh, I thought Here's, he was like actually hired as a janitor. No, no. no. If you, if, again, this might this might be clear if you watch it in order. But there's like two levels of ghosts that we see in here. There's what Merlin when oh. Merlin initially is able. Oh, Caleb, do go on. Caleb is able to see Merlin because they were related. That's okay. it. They could just talk to each other. Right. That's it. When Caleb that wasn't performed... Caleb's superpower, though. That was just something well, they only had he together. Could, only he could do it, okay. but that was indicative that he was special. Um, then Caleb performs a ritual, and what that does is that unbinds Merlin from him, and now she is a ghost who can interact with people, basically as, as though she was a guardian angel. Okay. Uh, and there are other ghosts who can do that stuff. They're not bound to someone. So he's basically the anti-Merlin. All right. Um, and he's the Boston Strangler. And he's the Boston Strangler. And there's this really fun bit where he's told by Sheriff Buck, just follow the boy, don't kill the boy. Whatever you do, don't kill the boy. I know it's not your MO, but don't do it. Uh, I just follow him and get him to bring his sister with him, and then you can kill the sister, and everything will be great. And, and and then, while he's waiting for the sister to show up, he murders a couple people around town. There's this really funny bit where he's like in like a hospital, and he's like trying to find out where Caleb is or whatever like that. And it's like from his POV, and he's like looking at Caleb, and then he's he always gets distracted by other women in the room, and he like, moves the, back. Yeah, and these, they, like, these hot babes keep wandering by. He's like, "Ooh, I could strangle her." Like he's back, and like he can't wait to get started, and the, the, it's really. The, kind of creepy yeah i like that the like sexy 50s nurse was a recurring character right the one who um had... i think she'd been in like one or two episodes like yeah. that thing where um you know we know we're gonna kill her but it'll mean more if she'd been in like two episodes before mm-hmm. but not like not like yeah, a serious like, yeah like re- recurring role yeah uh the next episode uh is called triangle and this one, all these <laughs> this titles one, this don't. This one is lost to me. A title like Triangle doesn't tell you what what the, the episode is about. So yeah, I need like, to remind well, meet, myself. Meet the Beatles is the only one that really is kind that of. That one's very clear. Well, the Plague one is the one with the plague. Yeah. Um. Okay. Oh, okay. So by this point, Gail and Sheriff Buck have been sleeping together for a while, and she is writing it off as "I'm young, I'm making mistakes. He's just so evil and hot, but it doesn't mean anything, and I'm going to break up with him at any time, and I can quit any time I want to quit." And uh, then she finds out she's pregnant with his child. Yeah, and and it's a demon baby. Yeah, she like looks in the ultrasound, and the baby, which is growing like way too fast, mm. uh, like looks at her and gives her like evil eyes and uh, points at her. Yeah, <laughs> which I found sort of ridiculously well, absurd, but I think you thought was scary. It, well, uh, and I'll say this for the show: there's actually at least one just really good, terrifying horror visual. In every episode. Yeah, there's some Just good stuff. free of context, whatever. There's like, you know, somebody splits open some murder scene. Blood uh, forming yeah, so, letters. Yeah, or, yeah. It looks yeah like, so and, just and, something and, creepy. And it's that sort of like 90s, not digital effects, which, you know, because I grew up watching like X-Files stuff, it's like, oh, that's pretty effective to my eye. Yeah. And something about that utterly ridiculous, really terrible <laughs> robot, like, animatronic baby they did. Yeah. Because they built an animatronic baby, but then they filmed it, like, in sort of staticky, and... I don't know, just something so... There was something so weirdly artificial about it that it seemed all the more terrifying. I, I'm not going to go to bat for that specific mm. visual effect, but generally speaking, a lot of the visual effects are either really bad CGI mm. or a really fun hybrid. Or yeah. just good practical effects, because there's some creepy stuff in it. Um, there's only two more episodes left. Mm. In Triangle, Gail debates whether or not to keep the baby, and Merlin convinces her. It's like, hey, listen, you would have had the same conversation about Caleb, and don't you love Caleb? And so she's just like, all right, fine. Um, the next episode is a two-parter. It's called The Buck Stops Here. 
Because his, his name is Buck. Yeah. And, uh, then, and then the last episode is Requiem. So when the Buck stops here, uh, the new Doctor, who is uh, in a relationship with the uh, with the sexy teacher, mm. uh, they... And, and she she's uh, she's calming down a bit. She, mm-hmm. she wants she to settle a, down. A, she little wants... bit, a little bit of a... For a second, I thought she was like a, like a supernatural being, like she was a succubus. But she, I, that's, I feel like that's how they originally played like that's her. How but they, they started just... to write her, but then they turned her into somebody with just sort of a, a sexually open past. Well, a sexually open past and sexually, mm-hmm. I think she's tragically sexually voracious. Where we find out that she was married, and I think had a child, but she's not allowed to talk to that child yeah. because of the divorce. Um, and so she's putting her affection wherever she can, and Sheriff Buck has been manipulating that, and he tells her to have sex with someone, and she does, um, but it's not a healthy relationship. She's evil, but there's a part of her that regrets that, and that comes up in different episodes, where she's trying to be good, but she just can't resist. The temptation's too strong. I, I think she has the best character in the show. Ah, uh, that's. I'm not going to fight you too hard th- on that. Th- thinking there's about good, it, I think there's, she, a, there's uh, a good argument for that. I, I think yeah, we, because we do see how, unlike someone like Caleb or any of the other characters who are supposedly morally torn, I actually feel it from her mm-hmm. because she does have all of these impulses to behave badly, but also has impulses to be very very good. I don't think Caleb is emotionally mature enough to be morally torn. He just doesn't know what to learn yet. Mm. Which I think is what you're picking up on a little bit more than him not having a character. He's just mm. learning about life because he's so young. He's not one of these people who are. He's not one of these kid characters in movies who are preternaturally adult. He's actually no, a kid. I, yeah, but he he doesn't behave like a kid, and he's not torn the way a kid is torn. Yeah. He's preternaturally like an adult in that he's just indecisive. Mm. All right, fair enough. Mm. Um. Well, in any case, in this episode, the doctor and the teacher, they've been having an affair, and they're talking about how she's trying to convince him to kill Sheriff Buck. That's the idea. Yeah. Uh, Merlin knows that you can't kill Sheriff Buck, because if you kill Sheriff Buck, the The, the, evil part of him will infect Caleb, and Caleb will basically become the new Sheriff Buck. The new evil presence in town that's manipulating everybody. So Merlin knows not to do that. Which is a new wrinkle, by the way. (laughs) Well, that's been a few episodes ago, but yeah. Yeah, but... If if this was Sheriff Buck's goal all along was to infect him and make him into the Antichrist and make him evil, mm-hmm. why why didn't Sheriff Buck just off himself and move into Caleb's body immediately? Because Sheriff Buck, it's like again, he's like possessed by somebody. There's like two essences in there. Sheriff mm-hmm. Buck doesn't want. It's like when Doctor Who, like when the Doctor doesn't want to die. Mm-hmm. It's not that he won't get regenerated. He knows he'll regenerate, but this version of him will die, and he likes this version of him, and he wants this version to live as long as he can. But it, wouldn't it make sense to just go into a, a person you knew was younger, rather than wait for that person to age or well, be tempted but, by other things? Just off himself, get right into that body right away, and start growing up again. He specifically says mm-hmm. he doesn't want to die yet. He doesn't want to die. That's not. Oh, a, that's well, not. A, that's not an unreasonable. But he's motivation. not. But he's not going to die. He's going to move on. He's well, going to be the not... same sheriff buck. Okay, I'm going to say this. Like, mm-hmm. imagine if you will that Whitney Seibold. Uh-huh. Uh, you knew that when you died, like your essence yeah. would go into your kid. Okay. But all your memories and personality, that's not there. Just your general goodness. Okay. Do you kill yourself right away, or do you like like having a personality and your own memories and your own like volition? Oh, well, well I, I, if it was like my memories and ever, well, I, I wouldn't like subsume my child's identity. It, but it's, it's but, yeah. not, though. Like, that's the thing. It's just this, like, evil force. But if, if I, was an, e- an, if I e- was an evil dickhead who didn't care about other people and just wanted to live as long as I could personally, mm-hmm. it makes logical sense <laughs> It's like passing as, on... as a selfish person yeah. to, to take over another person's body if it's more advantageous to you. 
Yeah, it's more like bequeathing a kingdom, I think. Hmm. You know, you want someone to bequeath the kingdom to who will be your your another version of you. Doesn't mean you want to not be king anymore. Well, does that make sense? I, I guess he'd have to do all the hard work to become king again. Yeah. Maybe that he's just he's just lazy. He doesn't well, want to do all that work again. I can imagine he might not. He can like he can like ease him into it like throughout like the next twenty years mm-hmm. at this rate. But anyway, also if he's if he's the devil, why is he mucking around in this tiny little town in South Carolina? Well, we never know. He's the devil. Or even if he's just a demon, you know, doesn't he have bigger fish to fry at this point? If you're dealing with the demons of eternity. Can he just go to a big city or like government institutions and start causing havoc there? Yeah, because what, if what there's he, one thing. Why does he care about poking around with whether or not a guy has a gambling problem in South Carolina? If there's one thing I refuse to believe about mm-hmm. demons is that they have the capacity to be petty. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's what you're suggesting. Okay, fair. <laughs> Listen, uh. there, hell is a big place. There's probably a lot of demons. Maybe this is just his jurisdiction. Oh, oh <laughs> all right. Like. Like he's, he was he's assigned this one, de- t- this one little like he's, yeah. he's the only demon in this town. He's a big fish in you a go, small pond. You go to a big you know? city. There's like thousands of demons. Yeah. And they're all covering different but areas. But here, he, yeah. would you rather be king of Trinity, mm-hmm. or would you a rather big, a be a big demon in a small pond, or yeah, a small we, demon yeah. in a big pond? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. oh, I'm the, I'm the demon of this apartment complex. Or would you rather have a whole town? He wants the town. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like you're the demon of an apartment? Co- like it's a big apartment <laughs> complex. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, like stay it's, here. Like, like it's an entire built, like a, like a, an entire housing project. You're the demon of that. Yeah. It's like an evil. It's like a supernatural like, version of Sliver. And, and there's so many people living there that you really just have to work out. Like Park La Brea. Say you're the demon of Park La Brea, <laughs> down by Lacma here in Los Angeles. I know where your dino is. Yeah. There's a lot of people living in that. That no, one, no, that, like they're all that, a lot of people crammed together in that, that one complex. That's fair. Uh-huh. That's fair. But you know you can't go fishing. How many how many people <laughs> does a demon get? Like. Oh, you know, they probably listen. I'm gonna tell you this right now. It's uh, hell. It's probably gerrymandered within like <laughs> an inch of its life. You know, they all manipulate it to whatever they want it to be. Yeah. Anyway, because because you know, Trinity, South Carolina, probably doesn't have a lot of people. It's only like what ten population, ten thousand. Not a lot, right? In this episode, I'm just gonna move on here. In this episode, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have. I was thinking about these things instead of paying attention to the story because it wasn't grabbing me. It's fair. In this episode, we find out that evil in American Gothic rules works the same way as evil in the movie From Beyond. It's all in the pineal gland. Oh, that's right. It's in your brain. <laughs> There's this you know, the pineal gland. We don't know what the pineal gland does, so sure, that's where all the supernatural stuff comes it's, from. It's the same shit that happened in The Shadow is all the pineal gland. That's right. It yeah. was the... Which Sam Raimi almost directed. Maybe that was like a thing that kind of came over from, uh, who maybe knows? Maybe that was 94, so maybe yeah. so. Maybe right. it was an idea he took. Like he developed that, didn't do it. Mm. Maybe that was a leftover bit. Anyway, um, so... Somehow, uh, the teacher knows that this is Sheriff Buck's weakness, and she's telling the doctor, but a guy who has a beef against Sheriff Buck because he made a deal with him and he never got his wife out of a coma, mm-hmm. overhears it, yeah, and stabs Sheriff Buck in the forehead. <laughs> and the doctor finds him, and the doctor is accused of, ki- of trying to kill Sheriff Buck. Mm-hmm. Sheriff Buck dies... Mm-hmm. With Caleb by his side at his deathbed, and Caleb just has like a seizure or whatever like that, and now he's nega Caleb. He, yeah, he, like the he's, evil he's, version he's now of Caleb, the evil Caleb, which is basically yeah, Caleb, but he like, wears tucked-in shirts and and, and coats and coats. He's, like he he's starts better, dressing he's real better good dressed now. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's evil because he dresses well, and I I think there's even. Like cartoon black smoke coming off of him in certain scenes. I think there's and, a couple yeah. bits where they play it up for obvious, you know, to have fun. It's Sam Raimi. It's a Sam Raimi executive joint. It's not super subtle. Um, 
Lucas Black plays evil Caleb, like, better than any of the actors who've been in any of the Omen movies. He's well, a good true. evil kid. He's scary. The, the, I, I liked, uh, I forgot the name of the actor, but the kid from Damien Omen 2 oh, was, yeah. was pretty good. All right, was, I, yeah, I sadly forgot the name of the actor because that was a case where he, he had to learn that he was the Antichrist. Like, he didn't mm. have this sort of knowledge in him. He did have sort of impulses to harm people, but he was trying, mm. he was actually struggling. He was trying to be a good person. I, I actually like the Omen 2 better than mm. the Omen 1, personally. But I like the Omen 1. It's just sort of a good... It's kind of a cheesy thriller. I think yeah. it has a little bit too good of a reputation. Yeah, I think it's actually it better as a pot boiler it's, than as like a serious drama. The score tells you it's a better movie than it actually. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, awesome music. The actor from Damon the Omen Two was Jonathan Scott Taylor. Jonathan Scott Taylor. All right, all right. He was. Um, good. He grew up into Sam Neill. <laughs> sure did. And the final conflict sucks. Yes, it does. <laughs> but wasn't that another one about the Omen sister? It turns out that there was a Satan turducken. Like. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. There's a Satan turducken in that uh, somebody... She absorbed the, the Antichrist you know, in the womb? It, it turns like... out, like, to be the real anti... Like, there's this whole of, like, this weird incest wrinkle where, like, the Antichrist has to be born of his own sister. And it's all kind of, like, so weird. weird. But it turns out that while the sister was in utero, it was already pregnant with an even tinier Antichrist. Like, the fetus was pregnant. And the fetus gave birth to the Antichrist before being born, so there was a secondary Antichrist. It's such a stupid idea. Anyway, uh... Omen for the Awakening. The plot plot really kicks into high gear, and everything gets, like, mega evil in the end of... Yeah, people are floating off the ground, and there's beams of light, and Uh, screaming demonic voices, and uh, fire. Lucas inherits Sheriff Buck's estate. He's got like this big, like, it looks like the house Elvira in- uh, inherits in Elvira Mysteries of the Dark. Like, it's big <laughs> and spooky and full of cool stuff. And Lucas Buck comes to his house like, well, guess it's all mine now. And then uh, the teacher is there and they do the shot from like the graduate where like she's going to seduce this 10 year old and it's all <laughs> super creepy and weird. She's just like, listen, you're going to need an adult to help you do stuff until you're of age. Because you're a kid. People again, know you're a kid. You're not going to... We're back to this notion that she might be semi-supernatural. Right, or at least just flat-out evil. Mm. And um, at this point, Caleb didn't know that his cousin was pregnant. Mm. And Caleb finds out that, oh, my cousin is pregnant. That's also part of my bloodline. And that could be, like, competition for the evil inside of me. Like, that thing could absorb my power. Mm. I gotta kill that unborn child. And so he invites his cousin over, and there's this bit where he's telling you, I have, and he gets like a hook, and he's gonna like runs after her with like a with like a fireplace poker with a hook on it, saying, I'm gonna kill your unborn child. And she's like in a bathroom, like in the shining, and he's trying to break down the door, but he's like a 10 year old. He's doing a good job of it, and he's super scary and creepy, but like it's weird. This is the last episode, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's insanity. They couldn't go anywhere after this. Meanwhile, it turns out Sheriff Buck, not as dead as you'd think. Uh, the doctor, uh, the head doctor at the hospital, like the administrator, was sick of having to kowtow to Sheriff Buck all the time and overlook all of his various murders. So instead of actually saying he's not dead, which he was, he just said he was and had him buried alive. Fun. Yeah, pretty good. Um, The deputy and Merlin and uh, the other doctor find him. Mm -hmm. And uh, they need to get the evil force out of Caleb and back into Sheriff Buck. 
That's the idea. That's the best they got. That's all they can do. <laughs> Everyone loses, no matter what. Except they, maybe Caleb could win. Like, that's it. That's their only option here. I, I, I've said this before. I hate it when we have stories of, like, demons and monsters and vampires and stuff, and it all just sort of boils down to the mechanics of it. I know. Like, we need to get this person to this time, like, to this spot by this time. I know. I and guess- that's the way it works. It's like, you watch Nosferatu, the original Nosferatu, the silent movie. Yeah. And... The idea of sort of the the first light of the rising sun hitting the vampire and vaporizing it Mm -hmm. was more about how he was tempted to stay in the presence of good for so long that when something pure, a big symbol like the sunrise, struck him, it sort of washed the evil out of him and destroyed his body. The evil and goodness were literalizations of metaphor. Exactly. Yeah. The, and the, and then, but then those, the, we take those literalizations so seriously that then it becomes about oh, uh, let's be ultraviolet out, yeah, rays, ultraviolet rays, vampire so yeah. flash. So now and, we have like superhero movies where they have like sun lamps and they're shining them at vampires and they're just getting burned. It's like that's really? fine, but they're it's kind of missing holy, the point. Holy water and squirt guns. Like you, you're, okay. you're missing kind of the point okay. of all this. The Lost Boys was fine. Come on. The, the Lost Boys and From Dusk Till Dawn and Like, these Bordello are fun movies. And, yeah, like, yeah. these are fun movies. Like, it's a different take. They're not taking it as seriously. Yeah. But when you're taking it seriously, the mechanics like, aren't va- interesting. Va- there have been so many vampire movies, I'm okay with a bunch of different kinds of vampire movies. But when you're dealing with, like, the mortal weft of the universe, and you're talking about God and Satan, can, can we have less races against the clock? I know. Um, but, uh, and then there's this weird ending where Sheriff Buck, like, picks up Caleb, and he's gonna throw him off a balcony. balcony, But it's okay, because he lands on Merlin, and she, like, cushions his fall or something, and then, like, Merlin's gone, but I think Caleb's okay, and then literally credits... Yeah. <laughs> and then that's the end of the show. <laughs> I, I took it that Caleb was dead, that he killed Caleb. I, I think you know. Caleb would live, but maybe Merlin would be living inside him or something. I don't know. Who knows? Who the hell knows? No one knows. They had plans for season two. They talked a little bit about it on the DVD. Mm. Like, Dr. Crower would come back mm. uh, at some point, but I, they, I don't know. What, I don't they know had what better plans for season one, frankly. Oh, shit. Okay, uh, I'm going to say this right uh, now. Uh, it's a muddle, and I think it's mm. way too long for its own good. I think they're clearly filling space. And I think 22 episodes, and they're not getting anywhere. There's with it. there's 22 episodes for about me. I mean, generous and say 12 episodes worth of content. Well, in terms of like the the central story, and yeah, like the premise about, of the show, it's probably about 12 episodes but worth it, of yeah, show there, kept, with maybe it, one or two fun bottle episodes. It, in the it, middle. And the, some of the bottle episodes are actually kind of fun, and yeah. I don't mind something that has a big arc with a bunch of bottle episodes. I still think to this day the best example of the way to tell an arc and a bottle episode simultaneously is the show Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a couple other shows um, it's been done. that did it, but yeah, yeah. The, where they essentially had a bottle episode, but at the very end they would have like an epilogue that would contribute to the arc. Okay, and so we could follow two stories simultaneously rather easily. Okay. <laughs> it was all about storytelling clarity. I value that. Yeah. Um, but when you have a bottle episode that changes like a fundamental premise or character in the show and then you have to start working with that and then you have other bottle episodes that change them back into something different so by the time you get to the arc there have been so many changes it's not even relevant anymore again though you saw more changes than i did because you saw it out of order I, I'm piecing together. I know, as best I know. I'm just, I can, I'm just sort of saying the, the that's not an arc of the that's show. not an organic. That's not how it was intended. It's mm. not orga- It's not as organic as it was meant to be. And I'm going to tell you this mm. right now, having seen it in order, it's still not super organic, and it's very clumsy in a lot of ways. Mm. There's a certain naivete to the way that it is portrayed. However, mm. I like the sort of sort of balls to the wall, eager to tell this kind of spooky story with this many different 
elements to it, where there is this sort of southern gothic drama that's just playing kind of naturally, where your dad's an abusive a-hole, but maybe he's going to influence you anyway, and you've got that element to it. You've got the cheesy 90s horror stuff, yeah, like the Tales from the Crypt type stuff. You've got some legit, I think, not throughout, but I think there's some legit good selling your soul storylines yeah. here, where they're actually like are smarter... And more believable because there's some I I I lost track of how many stories I've read or seen in which someone sells their soul to the devil and I don't buy it for one fucking second like oh you're the devil I'm just not going to yeah yeah like, I, I, well, would, what, I wouldn't what, they're not desperate enough to want to make that sort of a deal and even if they are they should know better I mean I understand like oh no my 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 mother who will die your mother's ninety <laughs> like I know <laughs> it's sad but. At this point, would she want you to sell your... Th- how stupid are you? Like, I know that seems like it's supposed to be really sympathetic, but it's, at some point you're just being immature. Like... Oh, I'd sell my soul for a donut. I understand selling your soul for a child, because hmm. then they're the future, whatever, yeah, you've had not, your run. Nothing but potential. I, yeah. I understand that, but selling your soul for an old... I've seen that happen, I just don't buy it. There's some, some weird... Hmm. It's like when uh, uh, Spider-Man sold his soul to the devil once. Remember that? I had left Spider-Man at that point. Okay, you know? Spider-Man... And I know, like, like to protect Mary Jane, they, they wanted yeah. to reset the timeline. They did, and they came so up with they, a really uh... bullshit way to do it. So what happened was, uh, Spider-Man, after the events of the comic book version of Civil War, which is very different from the movie, Spider-Man had revealed his identity to everybody. Yeah. It's like, I believe in superhero registration, I think we all need to take responsibility for ourselves and tell everyone who we really are if we're really going to make a difference, otherwise we're massive hypocrites. So, my name is Peter Parker, I've been Spider-Man since I was 17. Um, but you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Like, you can't undo that. That's too huge. And also, there have been a lot of complaints, mostly bullshit if you ask me, that when Spider-Man got married, it aged him too much. Yeah, the, like the kids not, couldn't relate to a married man. Which never, is, never mind. What the, What about all the other adult characters you read about comic books about? It, which, it's just madness. I yeah. found that just, if, if you can't think of, like, a good story to tell about married people, you're not married. Or you're not very imaginative because come on, like there's so much, there's so many interesting conflicts that arise even in the best relationships. Mm. But I digress. Um, so Marvel decided to put that genie back in the bottle, and the only way they could come up to do it in this world where literally anything can happen, like literally anything <laughs> can happen, you can make it up. Here's what they got: the devil comes to Peter Parker and says, "Hey." Your Aunt May is dying. I know you'd rather she not, but if you sell your... I know she died in issue 400, but she's back and now she's dying again. And Peter Parker means says, well, I'm not going to sell my soul to the devil. And I'll, I'll say this, I thought this was actually kind of clever. Uh, the, the devil, Mephisto, mm. as he is in the Marvel Universe, uh, says, uh, oh, I don't want your soul. No, it's, when you buy a soul from someone for a noble purpose, they get really smug about it in hell. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm being tortured, but at least I know my child survived. And it's just a, completely dissatisfying and annoying. I don't want your soul. I just want to ruin your life. So, in exchange for saving your Aunt May, I'm going to take away your marriage. Yeah. That and, never and, happened. And the memory, all these like yeah. memories. No one will ever happen. remember that you were married. You will never remember that you were married. And then after he makes the deal with the devil, he's like, oh, by the way, you would have had a kid. Anyway, bye. Like, well, Which we already know because we saw the Spider-Girl comics. It, which has yeah. no weight to it. Um, and then that's it. They just completely redid it. So dissatisfying. <laughs> so weird that like Spider-Man would just like make a deal with the devil anyway because mm-hmm. he's Spider-Man. He's not stupid. He's too responsible for that. And again, you're trying to save like an 85-year-old woman. 
I get it. Yeah, it's sad. I keep, love Aunt May. Keep in mind, Aunt, Aunt May has been 85 since 1963. Right, she's functionally immortal. I realize that, but like... <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter Parker has grown from 17 to 35 in that I time. I, well, listen, comic book timelines are just yeah. confusing. Anyway, my point is it was very dissatisfying because you, just don't, you don't buy it. Right. There's no reason to be able to believe it. In American Gothic, a lot of these stories, I buy it. Okay, yeah. I'd buy it. I'd buy, well, I'd buy this the person thing. selling their soul there's, for that. There's, uh, I think that's the thing that one of the things that really frustrates me about this show is because there are little interesting storylines and bits and characters here and there, uh-huh. I keep getting tastes of uh, better shows hidden inside of this one. Mm. Like, there's a really great kind of anthology series where we meet someone, the same devil character in the same town comes up to them, mm. tempts them, and they do something good or they do something bad. And they either succeed or they come to ruination. Oh, and so it's, it's more like 32 about short films about Springfield. Exactly. Yeah, but, with, but it's, yeah, it's okay. a, like each each episode would be about that supporting character. And mm-hmm. for maybe five or six episodes, that's the premise of the show. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to see that show. And then people can like weave in and out of the stories a little bit. We see characters. Yeah, like, maybe from like other in, characters like, yeah. who are in the town and maybe kind of give an influence. That's but a it's different fun. show, but it sounds like a really good show. Yeah, and, and they gave yeah. me a taste of that show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm frustrated because they kept... Not doing that. And then they come back. It's like, okay, are we going to keep on doing this or not? Well, I'll I'll say this right now. Uh Uh, I'm not as high in the show as I was when I first discovered it because I hadn't seen a lot of stuff like it. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even really gotten into Twin Peaks yet when I first discovered it. So, like, I knew it. Twin Peaks is such such a a vastly different and far superior animal. Oh, sure, sure. But I do think American Gothic is one of the Twin Peaks knockoffs that comes closest to getting the formula Mm -hmm. right. Um, Yeah, I was when I'm watching it now... Parts of it are a little just dated and cheesy. It's obviously muddled. Um, it's obviously early on in terms of sort of experimenting with serialized genre storytelling. Yeah. Um, they hadn't cracked the code yet, but strides were made, and mm-hmm. I the things they did well, I appreciated. Um, but it goes back to something you were saying when I think about like where could the show have gone and was it canceled too soon? Because as much as I like this show, mm. and maybe it's a crisis of imagination, maybe I'm just not clever enough. But when I think about what would happen next on this show, all I can think of is add more characters, fine, hmm. and add more mythology, which I don't want. No. I do no, not no, want no. to find out more about the mechanics. I don't want to meet more angels. This is not supernatural, where it's just good guys shooting bad guys with salt bullets. Like, <laughs> it's cool. I like that's supernatural a, a lot. But, but that's a, a monster hunting that's, show. That's yeah. a monster hunting show. It's a very different vibe. That's a much more guttural macho show. This is basically trying to be a soap opera with the devil in it. Mm. And I part of me like to see it remade a little bit more focused. Yeah, you know, like maybe there's a good movie fo- you can get out focus, of this. But like, a movie would have been great if it was yeah. just the Caleb story. Yeah, uh, focus that. on the actual moral dimension of it, which they do a little bit. But yeah. then they also have like these really kind of sort of broad slapstick elements where the morality is played really widely. And... I'm going to say something I don't think I've ever suggested before on mm-hmm. the show. I would rather have this be a series of pulp paperbacks. There you go. Like a new twin... It's like, it's like the Babysitter's Club, but like a new gothic horror story set mm-hmm. in the town of Trinity, and there are narratives that progress, and maybe some books have a bit yeah, more plot get, than others, get, but... Get the the yeah. Mel, Mel Gildens and Peter Davids of the world yeah. can start sort of updating those. I feel like that's where this lives, because I think mm-hmm. if it had continued on as a series... Yeah, we would have found out more about where Sheriff Buck came from and the mechanics of it and what happened to Merlin. And I, I don't care about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it, sometimes it's interesting, but usually it's not. And so as much as I really do like American Gothic, and as much as I do think people should see it, even though 
trying to find the right episodes in the right order can oh, be a real hassle. A, little, t- a and little, like, little bit of a hassle. Th- with the exception of the first three episodes, there's never more than two episodes in a row that are in like, the right order, so you always mm-hmm. have to like change the disc six, then back to disc four, <laughs> and then a different episode on disc four, but not the one right after that episode. Mm-hmm. Then you got to go back to disc two, then disc four again. It's annoying. It's annoying, but I do think you can you can buy it on Amazon Prime, and it's yeah. just sort of clicking up and down a list might be a little bit easier. Yeah, but. if you have to buy it, it's probably better to do it on. This is one of those occasions in which I totally get getting it on streaming because it will be easier to navigate. Right. Uh, however, this was a donation, and although unfortunately when I moved, I lost some of my cataloging system as who donated what. Oh, I do ter- just want right. I do just want to say thank you to whoever donated this to us. It was a while ago. I'm glad we finally got to it. I'm a fan of the show, and this is one of those instances in which I liked the show. But I don't think it was canceled too mm. soon. I think this is probably should have been a one season wonder. It gave people shots in their arm for their career. Sarah Paulson went on to a big career. Yeah. Lucas Black got a lot of attention to it. He became a big child actor. Should be a bigger adult actor. I do think he's really talented. Uh, and Gary Cole got kind of a mid career shift where he started being seen more as in heavies. And like after mm-hmm. this movie, he did a simple plan with Sam Raimi where he played the bad guy and he was great in it. Um, so I think this, I think the show kind of works. But it's also kind of sloppy mm. and naive, and I think it's worth checking out if it sounds like any no, of this stuff not, is interesting. But yeah, yeah it probably didn't need to be a hundred episodes. You know, what? naive is a good word to describe yeah. this because uh, there's there's a certain kind of. Uh, when I was a teenager and a young naive boy, I was very fond of the Hellstorm comic books. And they're doing they're doing a TV series on Hulu. Oh no 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 no! Not everything in Marvel is good. <laughs> a lot of it is really bad. Stay away. Stay away from the gothy comics from the nineties. Um, yeah, in the seventies, uh, Marvel comics introduced Son of Satan, and it was he was a guy with a pentagram on his chest and a pitchfork, and he was a demonic superhero and and it was just sort of this corny thing and then in the 90s they decided to kind of reboot him as this like angsty coat wearing long hair goth type guy which I just sort of get. tortured oh I'm so tortured that I'm the son of Satan but I'm still gonna do satanic stuff and it feels like what you should do with that plot mm-hmm. is he should like the new the new rebooted series would be about this guy who's all tortured and son of Satan, and we find out that's not actually the son of Satan. He just oh. thinks he is because he's all goth and weird. <laughs> or how and about, actual son of Satan comes up I in was, a business suit and it's just like I don't do that. No, I, th- I think it'd just be about the two characters, the two versions of the character. <laughs> they're just two separate characters now. That could be fun. Yeah, yeah like, into, what, one's the, into really, the Hellstorm yeah. verse. There you go. One, one's like the really ostentatious version, and one's the really gothy version. But yeah, I, 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 read, I read those comics and I loved them so bad when I was like sixteen. They're they're doing a new. Yeah series of horror-centric Marvel shows on Hulu called, I think it's Journey into Fright is the new banner. Okay. Uh, like, Ghost Rider's gonna have his own show. Okay. Hellstorm's gonna the, have the, his own the, show. The Midnight Suns. Basically, yeah. Mar- yeah. Weren't they already doing Marvel Knights? Yeah, wasn't but that, that wasn't, a, wasn't, that wasn't that supernatural stuff. Or? That was all, like, street-level gritty stuff. Oh, Alright. Um, but, uh, the thing that I, already I'm just like, oh, fuck you, Disney. <laughs> Instead of calling it Hellstorm, oh, no. it's called Hellstrom, with one L, and the R is in front of the O. Hellstrom. Well, but with one L, because it's not hell. His it's name Disney. His name was Damien Hellstrom, but yeah. it was spelled with two L's. Yes, it was in, in the comics. It was G L L S T R O M. Hellstrom. It's like when they changed the name of the comic, like when they did Hellblazer mm-hmm. as a movie. They called it John Constantine. Hellblazer is a great name. <laughs> Why would you change that? That that's that uh, catches your eye. Like ooh, <laughs> Hellblazer. Hellblazer. That's cool. Hellblazer, I guess some people might 
thing sounds too corny. Hellblazer. It's cool. I don't care. Sound, sounds like just a, an ugly sweater. Um, but uh, yeah. But going to my point, back to Hellstorm. Yeah. I, I really love those comics, and I revisited. I kept them for a long time. I kept all my comics because yeah. I was a good collector until I sold them. Uh, <laughs> now I have like five comic books in my collection. But I really uh, need to go through my. Comic I, I, books. Had, I probably I had, only need I, like one long box where the stuff that really matters. I, I to had me. several long boxes full. I held onto these things, thinking I'm really going to use these someday, and then I realized they're just taking up space in my closet. I, I sold the sold I'm, the lot. I'm kind of at that point. I need to just take like a weekend and just go through them all and just say see what, which that. That's actually valuable. That actually could go sell on eBay yeah, someday. Yeah. This I have a personal attachment to. This right. will never get collected in trade paperback, and then everything else can go. Mm. Well, a lot of it is not. Worth most, keeping, no, most of yeah. it. Most of it I can probably safely sell or donate. Mm. Or someone had a great idea once, which was, um, "Hey, you got a bunch of comics you want to get rid of, and they're not like big deal comics you're going to get a lot of money for. Give them the trick or treaters on Halloween." Yeah, no, no, that's a great idea. That's a in great fact, idea. In fact, uh, that's how I got some comic books. Some people yeah. did that in my neighborhood when I was a kid. That's they, fun. Uh, what, what if Captain Marvel had not died <laughs> in my trick or treat bag one year? What, what, what if he hadn't? What, what would have mm. happened? The world would have ended. That's, that's usually always, the story. Almost end. always, yeah. that's the thing. Someone like, would have he, died. He would have become or... more powerful and destroyed the planet. It's like know? it's like the ethos was always just like we can't have it be cooler mm. if the what if happened. I know, it's always going to be sort of supporting the main uh, timeline. There was a Marvel uh, crossover event called the Evolutionary War, and the oh, bad yeah. guy wanted to evolve humanity. And this well, the high evolutionary, the big, high evolutionary, big pink guy yeah. had the idea is to evolve people and shit. And, and the superhero said, "Well, we can't have that," so they beat him up, and yes. that's the story. And uh, <laughs> and uh, the what if version of that story was, well, what if they, what if the heroes didn't beat him up, or they they didn't beat yeah. him up bad enough? So yeah. he still got still went through. So he did his plan, and humanity evolved. And it ushered in a world of peace full of intelligent beings, and that was that. <laughs> we screwed up. <laughs> we screwed up. The superheroes effed everything up for humanity. Guys, Turns out we all evolved, we got big brains, and we became very peaceful people, and the humanity was so much better off for it. I, actually, I do remember that now, and that's kind of funny. You know they're doing a what-if television series? I don't care. An animated not, series about what-if stuff from the okay, You're not going to get me, I'll, Disney+. I'm not going to get you. I'm not going to subscribe. I'm not going to... Listen, there's, yeah. there's a bunch of that stuff on Disney+, Plus. I'm like, don't care, mm. don't care. Don't care. Ooh, She-Hulk. Don't care. Don't <laughs> yeah, care. It's like, like, like one-eighteenth of what they're announcing it's like might sh- seem vaguely interesting. There's there's a She-Hulk series, and the What If series sounds kind of fun, and there's a series where Jeff Goldblum narrates stuff for National Geographic. The National Geographic stuff, fine. Yeah, like those are like the three things they've announced for their I've, streaming I, services. I'm I like, have a feeling cool. that, that even, even if... Um, like, if Disney sells off National Geographic, they'll be fine. National Geographic is a strong enough entity to survive on its own, mm-hmm. even though they're in the Disney pot right now. It's so weird that they're in the Disney mm-hmm. pot. Anyway. But ESPN is in there, too. They don't mention that a lot. Oh, damn, but there's... Yeah. Yeah, well, they're gonna, they're gonna once it comes out. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, but uh, so, an- Angsty Hellstorm comics. We're getting on so, so many tangents. Uh, yeah, back to the, our original tangent. Our original tangent <laughs> about how you said the show was naive, and it reminded me of the these angsty comics about how I thought they were so morally complex just because the character was miserable. I feel a, a little bit of that flavor coming off of American Gothic, okay. where they're trying to explore some really heady moral stuff about good and evil and God and Satan. Right. And but they're doing it so haphazardly, 
and they're fumbling through it so quickly. They're not actually stopping to ask any important moral questions. Hmm. And not, when, a, not on the bigger scale. Not, like on, not on the bigger scale. But, and then when they do, it's presented in this really kind of fast, pulpy, sometimes even comedic fashion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure where, where this show wants to stand morally. If it wants us to take sort of wicked glee in the evil, mm-hmm. or if it wants us to hate the evil characters. Well, well, again, I do feel like that's a function of having too much time on their hands. Yeah. Where they want to do everything they can do and play in the toy box and, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, the, the studio executives are just like, okay, bring it on home, bring it on home. Mm-hmm. No, just five more episodes, Mom! Like, <laughs> and they just do five more crazy episodes. And yeah. yeah, I feel like if this show was shorter, mm-hmm. it would have been more focused because it yeah. would have had to be. Um, as it stands, the scattershotness can be fun, and I think uh, some of the weirder episodes are some of the better episodes, but it does, you're right, it's naive and scattershot, and it has severe problems. However, I do think that it is worth checking out if you are into horror, if you're into, uh, you know, sort of cult TV shows from the 90s, I know a lot of people are, um, this is one of the ones that gets overlooked a lot. It's not as good as something like, say, Brimstone, which we reviewed on this show before. Yeah, Brimstone, I like. Brimstone kicked ass. I think we both agree on Brimstone. But this one, I like it, but I don't think it could have lasted any longer than it did. So I'm going to say it was canceled too soon, but I liked it. I'm taking it. You think it wasn't canceled It wasn't canceled too soon. Yeah, I I think they didn't come up with a premise or they had too many premises and... Yeah, they they weren't really good with like the char- the actors are having a great time, but I yeah. feel like they weren't really good with figuring out what they wanted to do with these characters. Yeah, um, sometimes, sometimes they were good characters, like fully formed on the can- on screen. Like yeah. Gary Cole knows what character he's playing. It's not like right. they're necessarily vague, but there's they're not pointed in any direction. They're just sort of lost in this big miasma of bad plot points. That's fair. Um, well, okay, that's it for this episode of Canceled Too Soon. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I want to thank everybody in particular who uh, listens to us and subscribes to our Patreon page. Yeah. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash critic acclaim. It is the banner for all of our various shows. Um, we love having everyone there. We have a lot of exclusive content there. Uh, Star Trek reviews, Oscar-nominated Best Picture reviews from throughout the history of the Academy Awards, uh, TV movies, miniseries, commentary tracks. There's a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to say uh, that we're going to make a, a slightly a slight change to our schedule this year. Um, we have Our falls are usually pretty lined up pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Whereas in September we do an event we call Suddenly Last Season where we review only shows that were canceled in the last year. But, uh, we, but we have so much we want to get to before we do that and it yeah. would bleed into September. Yeah. And we don't want to cram all of those shows in before October, which is when we do our all, all our horror stuff. And that's yeah. fun stuff that we want to get to. Yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to ruin Scary Tober and we don't want to ruin Suddenly Last Season by having a short month. So yeah. what we're going to do is September, we will continue. We have some cool ideas we want to do. We still have mm-hmm. uh, all of our patrons voted for us to review The Star Lost. So that'll be like our episode for like the first week of September rather than the last week of August. We'll do another poll as well. We're going to do a sort of experimental new mm-hmm. sort of content strategy for like a week. We yeah. want to try something a little different. We have a fun idea. We think you're going to like it. Uh, and then in October, nothing but horror shows. We have a lot of cool stuff lined up, as always. And then in November, we're going to do Suddenly Last Season, because November was usually our superhero month, but we already did Marvel, and we already did DC, and we thought we'd give it a rest for a bit. <laughs> also, one of the shows we're going to do on Suddenly Last Season was a DC show anyway. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we might as well um, sort of parlay them um, together. If... Uh... 
if we can find it. Yeah. Speaking of Disney Plus, uh-huh. they all—it's not even launched yet, and they already canceled the show. <laughs> isn't that hilarious? Like, That's great. Like the channel isn't even a thing yet, and it already has a canceled show on I its know. hands. Well, they're working on it too. If we can get our hands on that, oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. And listen, there's a ton of like really great shows that were canceled this last season. Like Tuca and Birdie was canceled. Yeah. We also want to give them fi- time to find a new home. We don't want to jinx it and prevent them from ever like mm. becoming a show again because we covered them on our show. So we'll give them a couple months. Um, but yeah, next week uh, we're gonna change it up because uh, you know this week we reviewed you know the American short Gothic, the yeah. short lived mystery show like American Gothic. Uh, next week we're gonna review a short lived mystery show called American Gothic. <laughs> the the other show from the early two thousands with Virginia Madsen. Mm-hmm. Also called American Gothic. Uh, I haven't started, also lasted only one season. I haven't started watching this one yet. Wouldn't get people the gist of it. Uh, it is about a very rich uh, New York dynasty. They're into politics and industry. And uh, in the opening episode, they find evidence of a serial killer in one of their uh, construction projects. Mm-hmm. And it points back to one of the members of the family. Okay. But you don't know which one. It sounds a little bit like Pasadena. One of them might be a serial killer. And... They don't know, and we don't know, and it's the sh- sh- the show is about trying to figure out which family member might be a serial killer. It's a fun premise. Fun premise. I hope I hope they solve the mystery because it's going to be a real pain in the ass. Yeah, that, uh, how, <laughs> I said thirteen episodes. It sounds about right. I'm just saying <laughs> or, or it could be one only, of th- only twelve. It only lasted twelve episodes. It, it could be one of those things where well, we were going to really solve the mystery in season two. They did that in Veronica Mars, where one of the big mysteries seemed like it was solved in season one, but then we found out there was something we didn't know, okay. and the real culprit got away with it in season one, and only got like discovered in season two. Uh-huh. It worked. It was really, really great. Okay. I can tell you what it was, in case you haven't seen Veronica Mars yet. Ooh, that's right! There's new Veronica Mars on Hulu, and I haven't watched it yet. Is that good? Are you happy yeah, actually, I'm excited more? about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the movie was disappointing, but it's better as a serialized show, and I hear the new season's pretty good. Yeah, so yeah, I've, I've only seen the movie. Yeah, the movie is the worst episode of Veronica Mars. Okay. Like, by far. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the worst possible episode of Veronica Mars. Uh, every other episode of Veronica Mars is better than that. Oh, great. All right. And the movie isn't even terrible. It's just not very good. It's just It was also terrib- made on, like, a TV budget, so yeah. it looks super cheap. No, it doesn't look like a real movie or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it sucks. I was a huge Veronica Mars fan, though. I do think it's oh, a really okay. brilliant show. So I've been meaning to get back to that. I've been so damn busy. I haven't even watched the show I wanted to watch. <laughs> but... <laughs> Whatever shows we want to watch, we're going to watch American Gothic by That's next right. week, and we'll have it for you, uh, hopefully in a bit, uh, timely maybe, fashion. Maybe maybe even later this week. I might be able no. to find the time to just cram it all in. Like, okay. half a season I can do, but 24 uh, episodes so was hard. Summer vacation is over. I'm about to have a little bit more time yes. to, to work on stuff. It's been... The, the last month has been a little bit difficult, just because it's been summer vacation. I've been with my family, and yeah. finding time to watch all of these shows and also record has been a little bit, uh, a little bit of a logistic yeah. headache. But uh, so we're sorry about that. We know so, we're a little yeah, behind on some of our we're, Patreon we're, episodes, and we're, we're behind on now. some stuff. We're we're they're, we're releasing these episodes on weird days of the week, but uh, we're we're going to try to get back on a, a, reg- a more rec- something recognizing recognizable as a schedule. That's right. Uh, But listen, thank you everybody once again for listening. We hope you join us next week for the other American Gothic, which I hope is as good or better than this one. And um, yeah, again, we're on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And um, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. (laughs) 